Hey everyone, just me for a second here recording from after we recorded the episode. Uh, we are starting a merchandise sale starting about the day that you're going to hear this. We have new t-shirts for sale, some of the old ones are coming back, and we have pins that are back. They're a little bit more improved from before, but pretty much the same design as before. Really hot sellers last time, so get them if you can, get them quickly. Uh, we will put the link in the show notes here or visit our website, atp.fm, and you will find the link there. Thank you very much. Also, we forgot to mention in our wonderful... Uh, extravaganza covering the apple event that you're about to hear that uh voting day in the u.s is going to happen between this episode and the next recording and we would like to very strongly encourage all of our listeners who are uh, able to vote in the u.s to please do so it's incredibly important that you vote not enough people vote and problems result and we would love so much to hear that all of our listeners went out there and voted no matter what races are in your area no matter how much you think your vote doesn't or does count please please vote thank you marco where are you right now i am in my house in new york and john where are you i'm in my house not in new york okay and i'm also in my house but that doesn't make sense because I hugged you like five hours ago. Why, why is your voice so hoarse, Casey? Because I, anytime <laughs> I speak at more than normal speaking voice for more than like 10 minutes, I sound like a chain smoker. It's, uh, it's been a long day. Uh, Marco and I were together. It is currently 9 o'clock in the evening on Tuesday, Halloween Eve. Uh, and I last saw Marco at about 1, I think, or thereabouts. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, right around lunchtime. Since the last episode was recorded uh we got invited to go to the apple event today and uh because marco and i don't have jobs uh we were able to do that and so this morning i woke up at a little before four flew to LaGuardia, went to the event and got home about an hour ago so it's been it's been a bit of a day and i was listening to last week's episode uh actually just uh yesterday or today or whatever and we, I made a snarky comment about how, oh, we all got our invites to the event, right? Well, actually, we did get invites to the event. <laughs> so, thank you to Apple for inviting podcasters to yeah. Apple events. And thank you for having them on the East Coast, even though I couldn't make it to this one, unfortunately, because of my day job. I appreciate the fact that it was on the East Coast and my ability to make it was, you know, made it much greater by the location. So I would encourage this. In fact, all Apple events should be in the East Coast. <laughs> yes. And if I would like to make them in Boston, that would be super convenient for me, too. But anyway, it's awesome. It's exciting that we got invited, and it's exciting that you two got to attend. You know, and, and I would like to uh, reiterate what John said, because I was uh, particularly uh, curmudgeonly slash whiny about the fact that uh, podcasters do not exist uh, according to Apple PR. And and I don't I, I honestly don't know how or why we got invited. Uh, and if a little birdie wants to tell me, I'd be curious to hear how that happened. But I ain't complaining. Uh, it, I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And so uh, I am extremely thankful. And, and I, well, we are extremely thankful. And, and it was it was super cool. And we'll talk a lot. We'll talk a lot about the event, of course, because I think that's yeah. what the people tune in for. But there, I'm sure we'll be a little inside baseball about what it was like for us to be there. Uh, John, I am genuinely sorry you couldn't make it. But um, but I'm glad that even one of us, let alone two of the three of us could could go. So it was it was very cool. I'm actually I'm actually kind of relieved that there was nothing related to the Mac Pro at the event. <laughs> it would have <laughs> been amazing. It was, it was hard <laughs> enough for me not to be there, right? But I'm like, well, but at least there probably won't be any Mac Pro stuff, right? And there wasn't, so great great relief for selfish reasons. All right, so uh, how do we want to do this? Do you want to try to go chronologically? Do we uh, want to? I, I think we'll we'll go through as usual in in uh, show order in presentation order. But I do have a 
I have an opening statement that I was going to make more forcefully, and now I'm uh, now I'm waffling, huh? Waffling on it a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, no, I'm sure we'll talk about this in the event, and this is not what the event was about, but it's something that a lot of people on Twitter were talking about, and something that I was thinking when I watched the video of the event. That aside from everything that was announced at the event, the the subtext that I was getting right or wrong from this event is. This is this is Apple whispering slightly louder to the world, not to tech nerds who have already been talking about this for literally years, but to the world saying, we're going to make our Macs. And I think that that signal is less hidden than it was. Now, the reason I'm waffling is I'm like, oh, sure, they could they could be saying that publicly, you know, in, in subtext as a negotiating tactic for the company whose name was not uh, uttered or shown <laughs> to the degree that normally is uh, in, in this presentation, Intel, right? So if you are trying to get the upper hand on Intel in any sort of future negotiations about whatever they might negotiate about, one way to uh, increase the power of your position is to stop really talking about their products so much. Stop really bragging about them. In fact, don't mention their name at all, but just sort of use generic terms like the number of generation they're on and maybe the word core. Uh, and then spend <laughs> a long time talking about how awesome the CPUs that you, Apple, make. Um, so that that was my, that, that's my one meta comment on the whole thing. And that is not what this presentation was about. It was about iPads and, you know, all the products we're going to talk about, right? But I felt that signal coming coming through to me through the video you guys can tell me what it was like to be there in the room if we really it was just, this was really about apple today and i'm just wrong because i was watching it by video so what what makes you waffle on it now though because it's potentially a negotiating tactic right that's mm -hmm. the only like I, I was gonna boldly predict like this is it like because i was coming out of this like that apple just basically said we're making our max like hello everybody to the public you know tech nerds have been talking about this for years now we're saying to the public we are making our max if you can't figure it figure it out by now it's going to happen you want it to happen everyone knows it's going to happen we're making our max but if you were still if you were trying to negotiate with intel about anything this would be the way to uh, increase the power of your position to say you know to get the public on your side to say oh the public wants us to make our max uh, our, everyone agrees our arm chips are better than everything you have so what have you got to offer us right um, th that ship may have already sailed. We could, we don't know, right? Uh, and nothing can no negotiating can change the fact that Intel is behind on process, which Apple emphasized in this presentation. Seven nanometer. Did you know that nobody on in a laptop or phone or no? I think it's a laptop <laughs> or desktop market has that. Did you know that Apple <laughs> Apple knew that and they mentioned it. It was just like it was hit after hit. Then. Anyway, that's that's it. That's my opening statement. I'm at a commentary. We'll go back to it when we get to that section. But yeah, like I don't just to, just to answer that question that you pose. Like I don't think this is a negotiation tactic. I think Apple has made the decision already that Intel's being phased out over time. It's it's only a question of how and when that happens. But it's not like you know it, it's like it's like when a job is really horrible and you decide to quit the job. If you go into your boss's office and they're like, "Well, how about we pay you ten percent more?" It's like that's not going to change your decision. Like you already made the decision. It's just an issue of executing yeah, it. Like that, that's, that's how that's, that's how Apple's that's decision sure I think what it is. Looks like. Yeah, like th that's how. Like I think Apple decided uh, probably over the last few years to break up with Intel, and and they're just slowly doing that. Oh, uh, and I guess I guess I have to add at this point because we probably won't talk about the Mac Pro. Well, I, I'm not kidding. We will anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, no. us, oh, come no. This is also making me think that I may be in a position personally 
and many other people may be in a position of buying the last great Intel Mac, assuming the Mac Pro comes out next year and is Intel-based, what is it going to be like to buy like a $8,000 Intel-based Mac the year before all Macs go ARM and the processors are amazing? <laughs> and the other fantasy that's throwing around is like, as everyone has said, but what if the new Mac Pro is taking so long because it is ARM? Uh, that would also kind of blow my mind. So I feel like I'm in an uncomfortable, uncomfortable Mac Pro position right now. But as we'll get to later... Uh, Apple is kicking some major CPU butt. All right. So it starts with, uh, let's see, the uh, MacBook Air. And we are talking about the Mac right up front. And spent a fair bit of, of time talking about the Mac. Like, I didn't time it or anything, but I expected the Mac to take up, like, three minutes at the top of the show. And it was a while. Yeah, so, because well, this is major updates, right? Like, yeah. And before we get into the, the air, I, I do want to talk one second about the um, the black and white video about creative people using the Macs that came right before the air segment. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting that almost every Mac laptop that was in that video had the glowing white Apple logo on the back, which means it was pre-2016 models. Yeah, you had pointed that out to me when we were in the in the show, and, and there were definitely some that did not have a glowing Apple logo, but you were right that the majority, to my eye, or at least once I started paying attention when you said something, the majority were absolutely older ones, which is definitely interesting. And we also got a number. They, um, Tim said that, that the uh, active Mac installed base is 100 million, and that's a number that I don't think we get very often, if ever. We also don't know how they measure that, so it's like, okay, I guess. That's true. Like. Act, what does that even mean? Like, there's many different ways to slice that. But, they, I mean, it's a round number, and then it's a section on the Mac, so they got to look for some number to to brag about, I guess. I wonder maybe if, if it's, like, connections to XProtect uh, or connections to other software update mechanisms or the App Store. Yeah, there's definitely ways you can you can measure that to come up with a bigger number or a smaller number. Like, if you if you just measured the ones that are supported, supported by Mojave, for example, that number is way smaller, right? Because they actually started cutting people off. But if, if you measure it for... Uh, Hardware that you could take to an Apple store and get repaired, like not an Apple's obsolete list. I wonder if that number shrinks as well. Anyway, uh, they're selling a lot of Macs. Indeed. So they dis- they start by discussing how everyone loves the uh, MacBook Air, which was true, if not <laughs> if not anymore. And we got a new MacBook Air, which uh, up until just just a few minutes ago, as we record. I think we all kind of assumed, and Marco, you had reached this conclusion almost immediately, assumed that it was a MacBook Escape, but not. But it sounds like that is actually not true. So can you tell me a little more about this, Marco? Yeah, this, so this, I've been kind of like on, on a research roller coaster all day trying to figure out <laughs> the MacBook Air. Like, so so here's, you know, it was introduced at, like, you know, we've, we've all in the, the Mac community and especially Apple users, we love the MacBook Air. We have loved the MacBook Air for a very long time. And they they capitalized very much on that in this presentation. They they like like Tim called out the MacBook Air as the most loved Mac, which I think that was probably a, an accurate description. Um, they even he even brought up the um, he called back the the envelope reference, <laughs> which was really nice. And so like it, it it referred back to all the MacBook Air history and really capitalized on the MacBook Air love that it has built up over time as like one of Apple's most valuable product names and brands and and icons, right? The funny thing is, if you look at what they actually have shipped as the new MacBook Air, it looks a lot like 
a middle point between two computers they've been shipping for two years now. The MacBook Escape, which they've been shipping since 2016. And it also now we're learning that it actually has a lot of similarities to the 12-inch MacBook, which shipped in 2015. When the MacBook Escape was unveiled in 2016, Phil Schiller, during the presentation, actually called out this configuration of the MacBook Pro without the touch bar as an Air successor, he he mentioned the Air and he said he, he said they created this new configuration of it to you know to appeal to Air buyers or to, what, something like that, right? I, don't, I forget the exact words. And so they they were positioning. Oh, and it made sense, like technically, because it had the same processor class as the Air, the same approximate guts as the Air. It was totally different from the Touch Bar models. Like the all the guts were different, like the the components, the, the CPU, and everything. Similar size and weight too, importantly. Yeah, it was three point three point oh pounds, thirteen inch screen. Like it was very very similar to the MacBook Air in many many ways. It was positioned as such. It was engineered as such. Clearly, the MacBook Escape was supposed to be the MacBook Air replacement. And the market basically said no for lots of reasons. I mean, up front, the price was even worse. Like there, there was since a price drop in, in the Escape that brought it down a little bit further. But, you know, in 2016, it was it was much more expensive than the Air. Uh, and people didn't like the new keyboard, which also kept dying. People didn't like the fewer ports and, and, and you know, the, the loss of the legacy ports and the fewer total ports, you know, because it only had the two plus the headphone jack. That has been on sale for two years, and the market has spoken very loudly that, no, that is not the MacBook Air replacement we were looking for. One thing one thing I'll throw in there, obviously the price I think is the number one concern and everything you brought up, but I actually think, and I can say this more confidently now that Apple probably agrees with me, that the taper, the <laughs> lack of a taper, was like the third place factor, which sounds stupid, and I've railed against the taper before saying you can fit more battery if you don't taper it, um, but... It's clear that Apple considers, as I think I mentioned a couple shows back, the taper to be an important part of the the MacBook Air's branding. They put it on the the, the 12-inch MacBook, the MacBook One, that tapers. uh, And the new Air has the taper as well. And the Escape didn't. And so, if it, obviously the price, I think, was the number one, and number two was probably lack of ports and MagSafe and all those stuff. But number three, I think, was the taper because if you love the MacBook Air and it's your most loved thing. What you want more than anything is a replacement for the MacBook Air that is like your MacBook Air, but better. And like your MacBook Air, like I was talking about this when we were talking about the rumors, what does it mean to make a new MacBook Air? Like the MacBook Air means essentially it has to be wedge-shaped because that's the MacBook Air. And I think it feels thinner because of the skinny edge. And I think it makes people think, oh, I had an old MacBook Air that I loved, and now here's a new MacBook Air, which we'll see whether we love or not. But it's clearly a MacBook Air, whereas the MacBook Escape was not a MacBook Air as much as Phil Schiller may have wanted it to be. It was the macbook escape it was the macbook without touch bar with a really big escape key that's what it was and it cost a bazillion dollars and it was not a new air see i i agree it was not a new air but to me what it looks like they have done here is basically renamed the macbook escape the new macbook air i made it wedge shaped and now it still has almost all of the same drawbacks as the Escape did to air buyers. It's, it's got more, right? Because it's five watt CPU. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'll get to that in a second. But like now that they call it the Air, now everyone's like, "Oh, finally, they made the computer I wanted." But like, it doesn't. It appears as though they really have done like a, a you know marketing jujitsu here. Like, it really is basically a, a halfway point between the twelve inch MacBook and the Escape. And it does not have the things that that MacBook Air people want, but it's called a MacBook Air. 
And, and it's wedge-shaped. And it's wedge-shaped, and it's three pounds, and it's 13 inches. But they've already been selling a computer that is almost exactly that for two years that nobody has bought, basically. So mm-hmm. I, I don't... To me, like, everyone's really happy today because this is the day the event happened. Everyone is, you know, very excited about everything. It looks really cool and everything. But... Like, if you enumerate the reasons why you weren't buying the Escape for the last two years, all of those reasons apply to this. And more. And I would, like, I remember a couple of shows ago I was saying when we were, like, in our umpteenth iteration of gnashing our teeth about the laptop line, it was like um, <laughs> something like, well, you know, whatever, imagine if Apple shipped this computer, how much would you like? And I said, imagine a MacBook Air, but it's Retina. You know, and it's like that—that's what people want, right? And so, isn't this exactly what you got? Isn't it a Retina, a retina MacBook Air? <laughs> nope. I, I look at this machine, <laughs> and I say, and I say to you, if I took this machine and I put a 15 watt CPU instead of a 5 watt in it, and I put a USB A and an SD card slot on it, and I put a different keyboard on, would you like it more or less than the computer here? And I would be hard pressed to find somebody who says who would say they would like it less, uh, because those things I just changed about it, they would probably make it more expensive, but uh, to, the, to the point that you're going to get too soon, like there, there already is, uh, you know, a bunch of other laptops in, in Apple's line that are like this, like the, you know, or, or I could throw a mag safe in there. There's, there's a bunch of other products that are sort of spreading out along the line here. If you wanted to make a new computer that fills a new role, the reason people don't like the escape, like you said, if you knew all those reasons, if you want to counteract them, make a retina macbook air which is take the macbook air and put a retina screen on it and update the the usb ports or whatever but don't take away things that people love which is the keyboard that they like that's more reliable maybe an sd card slot maybe a usb a slot like there's there's things that you could do the small things that everyone would say oh that's better that's even better than what we got right but they they haven't done that right so i think when when people look at this computer i think they may actually get go pretty far on the fact that it's called macbook air but if you had that sort of Pepsi challenge where I said, do you want this one or the one with the single USB-A port? And they'd be like, oh, I'll take that one. Why wouldn't I take the one with the, with the big chunky port? Because I have some stuff that's shaped like that that goes in that hole. Do you want this one or the one that has MagSafe? Oh, well, I love the MacBook Air. It's the most loved Mac ever. And I love MagSafe. And I'll take the one with MagSafe, right? Those two changes right there wouldn't actually cost that much more money. Obviously, Apple is on the outs about MagSafe for reasons that I don't think have been fully articulated to the public, but may actually be valid. We just don't know. Maybe it was starting fires or causing reliability concerns. But a USB-A port, that doesn't cost that much money. They could find room to fit it, and people would love it. But Apple says no. So it has, you know, has the same two USB-C ports as the, as the Escape. Which two Thunderbolt ports, to their credit. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair. So but you know, what that really means though is one port if you have it plugged in, plus the headphone port, which is on the wrong side. No, the, having one more port sounds like paradise. Don't you knock it, my friend. <laughs> that would be amazing. And and I'll get to that in a second too. But anyway, so you know, so you have like you have the same ports as the escape, which I had for a while and decided were not enough, but okay, we'll move on from that. This is a low end product after all. Um you have the same keyboard. Um it's the same keyboard as this year's twenty eighteen MacBook Pros. So uh, you know, obviously with the with the change of there being Touch ID without without a Touch Bar, which by the way is awesome. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that you can get Touch ID without the Touch Bar. That is a great option, and I hope that option moves across the line. Well, yeah, you hope that just because you're begging for scraps. I hope Face ID moves across the line, but we're not there yet. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, 
Yeah, I guess if we're going to keep having that that giant top uh, bezel on the screen, might as well make Face ID in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so it is the same keyboard, though. So anybody hoping for a different keyboard, myself included, we are disappointed uh, because it is the same. Now, it does have that silicone membrane that the 2018 update brought to that keyboard to make it quieter. But we also know that there are still reports of, the, of these keys flaking out and dying. So it's not fixed. Like the, the problem is not gone. It just seems to be maybe reduced. Um, so it still has an unreliable, expensive, hard-to-service keyboard, which I, I still assert is a terrible choice, not only for anybody, but especially for a low-end model, where these, these have to last a long time. They're sold to very value-conscious buyers. Uh, they need to withstand things like schools and, and you know, heavy use. So I, you know, specks of dust are, are going to be a problem, I think. They're going to keep pushing this. I was hoping that this new MacBook Air would be the first model to show off a new industrial design that would be that would spread across the line obviously that was wrong that it it, that is not that was not in the cards for this year that is not going to happen yet we're not ready for it yet i'm disappointed by that but oh well and and your your new hope should be that this is the last laptop in the old design language right so you were hoping this will be the first of the new generation right now now we all switch to saying i really hope this is the last of this generation meaning this generation meaning starting with a 2015 macbook of the butterfly keyboard generation of no ports, this keyboard, we should all pray that this is the last one. That, you know, the, whatever the new generation is coming in the future, they, it wasn't in time for this. So just this is the capstone. They've now converted their entire laptop line to this style and this generation. And all the trade-offs that are made on pretty much every single one of these models are the same. Like, it's not like they, they perhaps couldn't revisit the trade-offs. The best they could do was you know, put some membranes on the keyboard, right? But all, all the trade-offs that were present across the entire line, they're still there for every one of these computers. Yeah, and and yeah, and we're we're, we're you know we're three years into this, almost three and a half years into this generation of industrial design for the laptops. Um, typically, these generations last like four to five years at most. Um, obviously, Apple slows down over time with Mac updates, seemingly, so that might extend. But I, I'm guessing we still have another year of this left, unfortunately. Um, but anyway. Besides it being not what I wanted, this does look like a good computer. But what's really interesting is this article that came out on Mac Rumors tonight that they're 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 doing some investigation of what processor is in this thing. They really didn't mention it very much. All they said it was that it was eighth generation, and we know it's like you know one point six gigahertz base. There's only one processor option. There there are there's no built to order upgrade processors. I noticed when I was looking through the tech specs that this computer only has a thirty watt power brick which is the same wattage as the 12-inch MacBook. The Escape, which has what used to be the Air Class 15-watt CPUs, ships with a 60-watt power brick. So it seems like this computer uses way less power. So sure enough, there's this MacRumors article tonight that seems correct that uh, that the processor, based on just like model numbers existing in Intel's system and everything, it is the MacBook class of power consumption and, and performance, not the, the MacBook Air and MacBook Escape class. What this computer appears to be is a 13-inch MacBook, not a wedge-shaped Escape, after all. And this may, this once you learn this about it, it, a whole lot of things make more sense, and a whole lot of things are kind of disappointing or weird. It is tech-forward. It's way more tech-forward than the 12-inch MacBook. And by the way, the 12-inch MacBook didn't get an update this year which is weird like that like it should theoretically 
have gotten updated today with this. If this is basically a 13-inch MacBook, the 12-inch should have been updated with it. I don't know why it wasn't, but oh well. We'll get there. Maybe it's some weird Intel thing. Who knows? Uh, but it is tech-forward in the sense that the new MacBook Air has the T2, the T2 architecture with the SSD controller and everything. That's great. It has the modern speaker system and microphones. It has Touch ID, which is awesome. Um, I, I, I did find it kind of funny that they they were like talking about things like Retina screens and the Force Touch trackpad being new because even though like it was basically like re-celebrating all the innovations they had for the last few years, <laughs> the, but like the Air never had them. So to the Air, they were new, but it's like, here's why a Force Touch trackpad is good. And it's like, yeah, that was introduced to the MacBook line in uh, 2015. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> but anyway, it does look like a really interesting product if you can tolerate that keyboard and if the pricing works for you. But it's more... I'm, I'm really curious to see the performance of it and to see like whether it throttles really badly because the MacBook has, has some issues like that sometimes. But it sure does seem like it's actually a 13-inch MacBook, not a replacement for the Air directly. And it's actually going to be probably a performance hit. I think the only reason it compares well to the Air is because the Air is so old. <laughs> but Yeah, this was, this was weird for me to watch because I'm not dying to to upgrade my macbook but I, I would like to you know i got it i think i placed the order during wwdc 2017 so i got it sometime in june of that year and i, I love my macbook adorable but it's not fast and the one port is kind of annoying generally speaking i don't mind it but there are definitely times that it's kind of annoying and not having Thunderbolt is also kind of annoying because, you know, if I wanted to get a dock and I have to be super careful that it's a USB-C dock and that that could potentially limit me, although, you know, it, it doesn't seem like I need anything that Thunderbolt gives me. So it, I'm sitting in the presentation, I'm watching it, I'm so oh, there's two ports. Ooh, they're Thunderbolt ports. This is all sounding great. Everything's coming up Casey. And then we learned that it's basically the same CPU and that really puts a damper on things because i don't i want something quicker like a lot quicker and so i'm not desperate to upgrade my laptop and thus i probably won't especially because the new ipads look so hot but um but i i don't know what i would do if i if i were to buy a laptop today and my personal priorities are something that is very small and very light but preferably not quite as slow as my current macbook I guess I would get the 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 escape question mark. You know, like I'm not even sure what I would do. And also, I should add that when I was in the hands-on area, which it is so cool to be able to say that. But anyway, when I was in the hands-on <laughs> yeah, <really> area, cool. <laughs> um, I had forgotten that I actually don't love the feel of the third-generation butterfly keyboards. They're they're they feel a little bit mushier to me. Now, that's probably I would probably get used to it, and it's probably for the best because they're also quieter, allegedly. But <laughs> they felt, that I, like, yes, I understand they, they touted the stability of the keys, but it just felt a little squishier to me. And one of the things I love about my, my adorable keyboard is how crisp it is. And, yeah, I can totally see how they, that may not be your royal you and your, specifically, Marco Arment's cup of tea, but... For me, I really like it, and and I'm not sure I like the new one quite as much. Although, if if I had to sacrifice the stability of it uh, in order to get, or the crispness of it in order to get something that's more reliable, I would totally make that trade. 
I'm really curious, like, especially if you look at, like, think about this too, like the way this fits in with the lineup, the 12 inch costs a hundred dollars more to start. Now that's partly because there is no 12 inch, uh, configuration that only has 128 gig SSD, which by the way should be illegal. But if you actually like configure these to be equally spec'd, where like basically you give the, you give the air 256, then the air, the 13 inch new air is a hundred dollars more than the 12 inch at the same spec. So what would actually finally make sense here that would finally resolve this would be if the 12 inch gets a 128 gig configuration that is a hundred dollars less to start. So like 1099 basically to start. Then you have the two MacBooks, basically the 12 and 13 inch at $1,100 and $1,200 to start. And if you look at the pricing, like as you scale up, like like the Escape, I think is like $200 more than them. The Touch Bar is another $200 more than that. Something like that, right? So like the lineup would make so much more sense, except for the one hilarious difference that these two very similar low-end computers, the larger of them would be called the Air. <laughs> I think that's just carrying along the branding. Yeah, like the more I think about this, the more it just looks like a 13-inch MacBook One uh, with Thunderbolt, right? Which, which is an okay computer to have, but it, it adds granularity to their line in a in a weird place. Like I feel like there's still a gap. Um, and incidentally, speaking of gaps, they're still selling the old MacBook Air. That was a question we had going into this. As far as I can tell, they're still selling it. Maybe they maybe they're just clearing the inventory. Maybe they won't. But um, if I saw people somewhat snarkily saying, or people who are disappointed that this isn't the first of a new generation of MacBook, saying that if pressed, they might still buy the old non-retina MacBook Air for the keyboard, for the USB-A ports, for the, you know, whatever. Like, especially if you're, if the main thing you're doing on it is typing, maybe retina doesn't mean anything. You're not doing image editing or whatever. And so the, if the main thing you do is, uh, you know, go around with your computer and type words and maybe use a web browser and like, plug in usb sticks and and an sd card from your camera the, the old macbook still is the better quote-unquote better computer for you um but if you were someone who loved the macbook one the 12 inch macbook but you just wish it had thunderbolt and maybe a little bit bigger screen and was slightly faster this is the computer for you but i'm not sure if it's going to appeal to macbook air owners like that was the pitch during the presentation tim cook was like everyone loves the macbook air so now we've got a new macbook air and it's again it's hard to tell when i'm not there in the room but the the video was like, and the crowd goes wild. Like, who doesn't want... The crowd did go wild. Yeah, yeah It was so. like thunderous applause. Like, because people love the MacBook Air. So I'm saying, like, they really are, are, like, really capitalizing on that. They're really pushing the marketing on this product hard. They really want people to accept this as the new MacBook Air. And they, I mean, and they might. Because if they just want a wedge-shaped computer that is not the, the tiny, tiny MacBook One, this fills that role but i'm you know as time wears on if people replace their macbook airs with this computer like will they miss magsafe and usba and sd or will they just be like oh shrug it's the new macbook air it's a little bit weird but i'll get used to it uh time will tell and again still selling the old one is i mean that's not a shock because you know they that's the thing that apple does now uh and still selling it to schools makes some kind of sense but having it in the line, m- making tech nerds, like, not out of spite, not to be like, well, if you're not going to make exactly the computer I want, then I'm going to buy the old one forever, like a, a Marco move there. Right? <laughs> I, I didn't say like, forever. I know, I know, but, like, I don't think it's actually a spite move. I think it is 
really saying, let's really think about like, what do I actually want out of my computer? And am I willing to trade these things that, that I'm used to, right? I'm used to like having MagSafe. If you're just really obsessed with that and, and can't, can't stomach the idea of not having it, they will still sell you a computer with that. And you can decide whether typing your password every time you unlock your computer or having a slow computer or having a non-retina computer or having terrible viewing angles uh, are worth it to you. Uh, all that said, I mentioned I was in the market for a new homework laptop, and I did the comparison after everything was announced to say, okay, so they've made their announcement. Let me spec out the new MacBook Air that I would get, and now let me compare it. And I did the comparison. I compared it to the MacBook Escape, and the configurations I wanted, the pricing was frighteningly close. And I'm like, well, then why would I get the Retina Air instead of the MacBook Escape? And I said, oh, yeah, Touch ID. So for me, that puts it over the top. Also, oh, yeah, the MacBook Escape still has the more dust-prone keyboard. It has not been updated to the third gen. Yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not entirely convinced that that's a material difference uh, with the memories. But anyway, Touch ID was the big deal-breaker. I'm like, well, oh, yeah, I'm not, for, I've, heard, I've forgotten that the Escape doesn't have Touch ID. Forget about that. So I have been to the Escape, even though they're very similar in price, and the Escape is faster, surely, right? Uh, but I don't care about that for a homework computer. Um, and is better in a whole bunch of ways. Touch ID makes the new air much more attractive to me than the escape and then the 12 inch when i compared the pricing there surprisingly if you start specking up the 12 inch to be close to the the configuration i wanted from the air the pricing isn't that far apart there either but again uh the macbook one no touch id right am i wrong about that that's correct that's correct all right i forget what's on the thing no no touch id also no membrane on the macbook one yeah and then you got the other different keyboard and it's only got the one port so within Apple's lineup, the new Air, at least for my purposes, is the most desirable product for a sort of low-end laptop because I don't want to get the non-retina because I just can't stomach it and because I just had one of those, so I'd feel like I'd be buying the same computer, right? And the, the two sibling computers that are around the same price range with different trade-offs in terms of size and power, neither of them have Touch ID. And as much as I want Face ID... Touch ID on a laptop, especially one that multiple kids log into and parents and everything going back and forth, not typing your password is big quality of life improvement. So for all of our complaining about this computer, we can't buy what Apple doesn't offer. And among what Apple offers for a cheap laptop, as far as my specific use case is concerned, this is the most attractive model. You know, like I'd said earlier, it was a roller coaster for me. And what I was thinking about just a moment ago is that for my MacBook Adorable, generally speaking, the only real peripherals I ever plug in is an SD card reader, which I do a lot. Occasionally, Ethernet, which I actually use an old USB-A Ethernet adapter um, just because I, it works. Oh, that, that was why, because I need it to be a plug-in. I, I need to be able to plug it into the to the dongle that has power input because I only have one port. <laughs> That's what it was. Um, so shut up, Marco. So, so I was thinking about it, though. Like my SD card reader, which is a, a USB-C SD card reader, is physically way wider than these two ports directly next to each other will allow. So <laughs> That's actually been a problem since all the 2016s. Yeah. <laughs> like the ports are so close together that it's that like some peripherals will block the other ports next to them. <laughs> Right. So this is, so if we tunnel vision, and, and I'm tunnel visioning on purpose, you know, to make my point, but if we tunnel vision on, the only reason Casey wants a second port is for an SD card reader, which is not the truth, but it's not far from the truth. 
this is still a one port laptop because they're directly friggin next to each other. I couldn't plug in a power port at the same time or, or I couldn't plug in power at the same time I'm using an SD card reader unless I get like a USB C extension. And I don't even know if that thing is. Does that exist? Is that a thing? I wouldn't. I don't think that exists and I wouldn't trust one. But but I can't you just get a different dongle that has a built in power pass through and Ethernet and SD card reader like I have one. that yeah, has that. fair. Yeah, you could. And they have that. adapters like we have them at work. They're kind of terrible, but they go into both ports. Like they go both of the USB C ports, and on them they have SD card and HDMI mm, and mm, USB A mm. and you know a bunch of other stuff. I'm always afraid those are going to like snap off. Like they like the ones that have little short cables. I think are way better. Yeah, we we haven't broken one yet, but they're but but they're definitely ungainly. I, I noticed some things when I was going through the video. I think I believe this is the first time that I I can recall seeing an Apple promotional video. This shows someone using an Apple product with an obvious white dongle poking out of the back. I think it was when they were showing like Mac minis or something and a bunch of kids were using them to do some, you know, video project or whatever. And you could see the back of the computer and it jumped out at me. It was like a sore thumb because you've got all these sleek little computers and the telltale white dongle poking out of the back, which is what real Macs look like in the world. There's (laughs) white dongles poking out of the sides of all of them, but very rarely do you see that. Like if you look at all of the, the, well, at least from the pictures I saw in the hands-on area, not a lot of white dongles poking out of the back of all those Mac Minis. Just smooth, carefully arranged, like color-matched cables to show how awesome and cool and sleek the Mac Mini is. Although we'll get to that in a second. There's a reason for that. Uh, but yeah, they showed a dongle poking out of it. And I continued to think that like, until and unless the world catches up with Apple's vision of connectivity on laptops, the reality for all of us will be Dongle Town. And Dongle Town is not a fun place to be i mean it's not the end of the world we're all doing it it's a thing that works and it has advantages in terms of docking stations and everything but it also has disadvantages and thus far apple seems either uh unwilling to compromise on this or they've compromised on it but we haven't seen the fruits of that compromise yet so it's difficult to tell which is which i feel like uh you two uh could have asked johnny about that when you were there and maybe marco did but we'll get to that later i actually uh i, I have a better idea for how they can solve this problem space gray dongles then you they'll still look pro and apple can sell us a whole bunch of new copies of the same things we already bought so everyone wins we are brought to you this week by squarespace start building your website today at squarespace.com slash atp and enter offer code atp at checkout to get 10 percent off make your next move with squarespace Squarespace, simply put, makes it super easy to make a really nice professional website with tons of functionality if you need it. So here's how this works. You go to squarespace.com slash ATP. Start a free trial. There's no credit card or anything like that. Just start a free trial. Next time you need to make a website for whether it's a new project, whether it's somebody asking you to make a website for them, or whether you just want to maybe modernize an old site you had that it's kind of hard to update or you want to add more functionality to it, try it on Squarespace. And see how far you get in like an hour. You'll be shocked because Squarespace is super easy to use. No matter what your skill level is, there's no coding required. Everything is visual. It's live previewing. It's what you see is what you get. All Everything, all, all the editors are super intuitive and easy to use. And it, you can do all sorts of customization if you want. You can leave everything stock and it looks pretty awesome already. But if you want to customize it to your own colors or your own logos or your own fonts, your own designs, you can do that too. And Squarespace sites support all sorts of functionality from basic stuff like content pages and splash pages to more advanced things that are, that are harder to do on a lot of other places like storefronts or podcast hosting. 
Squarespace has all this built into all their plans. It's wonderful. So see for yourself with that free trial at squarespace.com slash ATP. If you sign up for a year up front, you can also get a free domain with your purchase. When you decide to sign up with Squarespace, make sure to head to squarespace.com slash ATP and use offer code ATP to get 10% off your first purchase. Once again, squarespace.com slash ATP, code ATP for 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much to Squarespace. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. I mean, it's interesting. I, I feel like this is going to sell well because people are going to say, oh, this is the new version of the thing I loved, and I just want a more modern version of the thing I loved. But it is certainly not without compromise, which is something we're kind of getting used to at this point, unfortunately. Well, it's something we get used to on the Macs and especially the laptop Macs. It's the laptop specifically. Yeah, because like, if you look like the desktops, like, we'll talk about the Mac Mini in a second. The Mac Mini update is awesome. Like, it's fantastic. And the iMac Pro, as I mentioned every show, is awesome. I love the iMac Pro. It's just the laptops that have been in such a weird place the last few years. And it seems like they can't ship a laptop that doesn't have severe compromises in some way. Even if you like the keyboard that I hate, it seems like there's severe compromises on all these laptops. Whether that's if you don't like the keyboard or if, or if you need it to work reliably um, or whether it's you know, heat and thermal issues, whether it's simply that they just cost way more than they used to and, and, that, and the upgrades for them are very expensive and less and less is serviceable. Like and you have to buy all these dongles for everything. Like, yeah, or if you, want, if you want any port other than USB-C and maybe headphones. Right, exactly. So like, it seems like the, like the laptop updates are just compromise after compromise after compromise, whereas the desktops and the iOS line, the hardware is is so good and the updates are almost all positive. Like they, they, they're they so strong. And we'll get to that for the rest of the show, fortunately. Like the, I, I think our one kind of downside thing is over um, because the Mac Mini update was fantastic. All right, so let's dive in. Uh, there is a new Mac Mini and that also made a lot of people very happy in the room and justifiably so because it had been how long? 18 years? Something like that. Can I just say too, like, I loved the intro video. It was, it was like, the most dramatic Mac I know, Mini like, intro video. Like, ever. And it was kind of tongue-in-cheek because there it was, was like totally the, tongue-in-cheek. Like that's that's why it was funny. Like I love like Tim's like sly little like, there's another small but mighty Mac our users have been waiting for. Like <laughs> even Tim's making fun of it. They, this video makes fun of it. Like I just love that like they just kind of owned that you know, we've all been waiting for the Mac Mini and it's super unimportant for the most part, but they're going to like make it seem really important for this one presentation for the next four years. So like, <laughs> it's I and I love the way they did the video, like this totally over the top thing that makes it look at look like a giant spaceship, like it make it look huge. Right. I just I love that style so much. Like Apple spends a lot of money on these videos and many of them I think are way less successful than this. This was a lot of fun. I think it really worked. It, it undercuts itself at the end when the the audio switches to being whatever the this there's movie making terms for this Todd Vizieri would tell me. But anyway, uh, music that you're hearing as background to the music of the video to music that is emanating from the computer that's distant in the video. Mm, yeah. And like it's big dramatic and then it's like, "Oh, here it is. It's Mac <laughs> Mini hooked up to a display <laughs> and it's playing this video." Yeah. It was that was really it was a fun video. So we had this big discussion about the Mac Mini a while back, and we were like, what are they going to do with it? Our main concerns were size and ports, and the answer to the question is size is the same, and the answer to the port question is they didn't screw it up. <laughs> right? Yeah. The only <laughs> things they removed from the ports are the audio input, the SD reader, and the optical capability on the output. 
which for an Apple update in 2018 after four years, that's really good. It could have been way worse. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. I mean, it, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like they adjusted the ports in ways that may or may not be. But it's clear they didn't. There's not a new philosophy for the ports of the Mac Mini as, as there were in the laptops. There is not a philosophy that like, well, you know what? We think all small Macs should only have USB-C Thunderbolt ports on them. That is not, you know, the, the philosophy is the same as it's ever been. Let's put a ton of ports on the back because we don't know what people are going to use these little guys for. And if we have room for HDMI, yeah, it's a weird old connector, but put it there because people hook us up to TVs. USB-A, is there room for that? Sure, throw it on. Thunderbolt, that's cool too. Let's put let's put one of those two. Let's, let's put four of them on there. Like it's the same <laughs> port philosophy as it was before, which is an incredible relief because as we discussed, that's what people use these things for, all sorts of random stuff. And exactly. it becomes massively less useful if you have some sort of overarching, very narrow philosophy of the ports that are quote unquote allowed on the back of a computer. Incredible relief. So thumbs up on the ports. Yeah. Which, by the way, is the same position they took with the iMac Pro. Yep. The iMac Pro has all of the USB ports. It has 4C, 4A, plus, you know, Ethernet and everything else. Like, it also lost its uh, its audio input and its optical quality, unfortunately, or its optical output, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But, uh, you know, the iMac Pro showed, like, even a brand new design, they still believe we should give all the ports on a desktop because there's room and people need them. Yeah, or not like every single port in the universe, but the philosophy is there should be a variety of ports. Even if we think that some of them are old or weird or we're not sure how many people could use them, if there's room for them and it's reasonable, we should put them on there. And they did. Exactly. And and I love, like, they even called it out. They, they said, the quote, customers love having lots of ports, which I thought was hilarious because... The laptops and the iOS devices are the complete opposite direction. Like, <laughs> but but the, I agree. Customers love having lots of ports. I wish you could tell the rest of the company that <laughs> this customer does. Yeah, I'm I, th- this Mac Mini. I saw, and there were so many things like like I love that you can spec it up really high if you want to basically make it like it's it's basically like a mini iMac Pro. Like it it is space gray, of course. Uh, you know it you could it, it starts out at a really crappy low power chip the four core i3 which i think this is the first time apple has shipped an i3 branded chip um i3s are, are pretty low end I, I don't even know much about them but i think they don't have hyper threading or turbo is that right but it's, st- it's still faster than the old mac mini because it's so ancient that's the that's the beauty of this update <laughs> yeah yeah like it's so ancient and the old one was two cores and this one is four cores so even though it, it it's an i3 it still has enough other benefits and recency to to boost it up. But I would, you know, it, to me, like, that actually makes some sense because Mac minis are often used, mine, for instance, mine is used in a capability where I don't need a lot of CPU power. Uh, I Mine is mostly used as, like, a file server and, like, a, a low-needs kind of, like, you know, low-role provider for the household. The Mac mini is sometimes used in roles like that, or it's used in roles where it needs a bunch of, you know, power. It needs to, like, churn CPU things for running tests or doing builds or, you know, who knows what else, right? And so it does make sense to have a low-power CPU option, and I'm really happy they can also offer a six-core high-power one. I one of my big question marks on this is I don't know what the thermal situation is here. Like, can it sustain a heavy load for a while without throttling like a desktop should? Um, I don't know. I don't know how the fan noise is. I don't know how the enclosure treats that. Their enclosure design recently in this area has been really good, though. Like, I'm pretty confident it's probably like, you know, like the iMac Pro is fantastic for fan noise. Uh, the laptops are OK. Um, so I'm. I'm assuming this is going to be pretty cool. I'm 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 really looking forward to hearing more about it. Maybe maybe testing one out or something. I don't know. 
Um, it's great that the RAM was up to 64 gigs. And the biggest surprise of the day, upgradable RAM on standard RAM SODIMM sticks. Oh my God. Like, this is the first time I think ever that Apple has taken a computer that they made less upgradable and made it more upgradable. <laughs> Like has that has that ever happened? <laughs> I, I, it's it's on it's on dims, right? Uh, I've yeah. been reading conflicting reports about so it is upgradable, as in one can upgrade it, but it is not meant to be user serviceable, as in you, the person who bought the computer, are not meant to crack it open and do that. Surely you can, because you know iFixit will help you get the tools and and the ability to do that. But I'm not entirely sure. It's uh, they, they recommend that you do it. I think mainly it's like, look, if you if you have a whole bunch of these in a build farm or your Mac Stadium or you have a, a server or whatever, and the RAM goes bad on it, it's nice to be able to just swap out the RAM uh, at a repair center or wherever you're supposed to do it, quote unquote. But but yeah, that's that's a not. They mentioned that specifically, and it's a not in the direction of trying to make this flexible and repairable. Um, this is also the dawn, as as I think our friend Todd Vaziri has pointed out, the dawn of the four thousand two hundred dollar Mac Mini, which yeah. is slightly hilarious but not that i mean it's only hilarious when you compare it to pc pricing because as many people point out oh so you spec up this four thousand dollar mac mini yeah it's a fifteen hundred dollar pc right like as we went to the intel knock things like you're not this is the mac mini has not suddenly become a performance bargain right but we're mainly relieved that they didn't mess up the things that people like about the mac mini they increased the power all around they let you spec it to a ridiculous degree which is good because if you have some application that needs a huge amount of ram uh but you know doesn't need a giant ssd you can adjust those two things you know or you need just a little bit of ram but a really fast cpu like it's configurable for people and you know since we're a captive audience and we don't have a choice of a lot of desktop macs having a choice in the small headless desktop mac market that we can adjust in some way to our specific needs even though it is still very very expensive in the grand scheme of things and way more expensive than an equivalent power pc we're still happy because we're mac users and we like macs and this option will keep us happy for at least like a year and a half, two years until we start grumbling again. <laughs> and like, and just like the range of you know, like you mentioned, that you can you can configure it up to like four thousand dollars. And and yes, the base model is more expensive than before. But again, like I think the era of people buying cheap Mac Minis to be their new desktops as new Mac converts is long over. And these are much more often used for things like servers and, and other like specialized roles. So I think the the price uh, change here is fine. And the the new base model is better specced than the old one was. Like the old one had a hard drive at its base price and a really slow CPU. And the second you touched any of those specs, you were spending a thousand dollars. So like it it was you know it, I think the pricing is fine. It's it, obviously like all of Apple's modern pricing. It isn't ideal, and everything's kind of creeping up gradually over time. But it's fine. Um, and I love how like it has this massive range where you can spec it out to be that low that low end server, or you can do things like ten gig Ethernet. Like who would have guessed that? Yeah, that was that was amazing to me. That's that's like that that's. I mean, they charge you a hundred bucks for it, but still, still, having that as an option. Like if you decide what you need is a huge SSD and ten gig Ethernet, but a wimpy CPU. Like it's it's amazingly flexible in ways that pretty much no other machine is. Even the iMac Pro, which is basically like they just expect you want everything awesome, right? You can get some weaker stuff and some stronger specs on this and mix and match to the degree that you generally can't elsewhere um and i thought it was interesting also in the hands-on area that they were showing the mac mini in all sorts of different scenarios that i assume that they believe it's really used in so they showed it as like a compiler farm for like xcode or running Mm -hmm. you know you know your test suite or whatever Uh, they showed it in the videos hooked up to a television which is a thing that a lot of people do with their mac minis right 
they also showed it in the video actually used it as a desktop and computer but i doubt many people use it in that way like the the mixing and matching and the stacking of them and showing them in racks which is like it was not, you know, when Apple introduced the Mac Mini and even when they introduced this new, this latest uh, form factor of it, I don't think they had in mind, like, oh, people are going to be putting these in server racks. But Mac Stadium exists and Apple knows they exist. And it's a thing that people do because it's a headless Mac and it's small and compact and you can actually stack them. So Apple, you know, went with that saying, we're going to show them stacked. We're going to show them stacked sideways uh, because it's a thing people do. And we want to say, yes, we Apple recognize that this is a thing you might want to do with your Mac Minis. And it's not like they're designing it for that, but they're, they have that use case in mind. They're not going to ruin it for you. They're not going to, say, make it cylindrical, which makes it really hard to rack. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's Apple embracing what people actually use their computers for rather than what they imagine or would like people to use them for. We were so worried that, like, we would have to, like, use Ethernet through a dongle. Like, the fact that we can get yep. 10 gig Ethernet... At- built in and that like and like they didn't they didn't take the power supply and make it external to make the box smaller like stuff like mm-hmm. that like they it's it's just a good update it, like if you would have asked well i was gonna say if you would have asked me to predict a mac mini update then i realized oh yeah we, we have done that for the last few episodes but <laughs> but like <laughs> i never would have guessed that a mac mini update in 2018 would be this good and i'm really really happy that they did it even though i'm probably not going to buy one for a while because my mac mini that i use for my home server is fine it's you know it once it flakes out i will gladly buy one of these real time follow up from Tavaziri. the phrases i was looking for actually I wasn't looking for them i knew what they were but i didn't know what order they went in so it's kind of important diegetic versus non diegetic i could not remember which one was the one where the sound is coming from an object on screen <laughs> and which one is instrumental and apparently diegetic means it's coming from an object on screen and non-diegetic means it's like part of the movie soundtrack. So thank you, Todd, for that was actually Jelly. Movie. Oh, was it? Yes. Which I said in the sorry. Sli- in, in, in thank Skype. you, Todd. Okay. You knew Todd. You knew the answer too. I believe in you. <laughs> but thank you, Jelly, for actually giving us the answer. One more thing that I wanted to cover uh, before we left the the, the Mac section um, is they they mentioned with the Air and the Mac Mini as well that they're now being made from 100% recycled aluminum. And that got a massive applause in the room. And I, th- I think that's totally deserved. Like, that's a really cool thing. Um, I, I have some questions about some of the details of that. And as a few people on Twitter have pointed out, they did later kind of ba- basically say that Macs are now made from the shavings off of iOS devices. <laughs> it's the worst. Like, it's the first thing I thought of. And then they said it in the presentation. I'm like, don't highlight that. We're all thinking it, but don't say it. It's like we spend lots of money on the highest quality <laughs> aluminum for the products that we care about. And the shavings that come off, we make Macs out of those. Like, it, it's such a painful metaphor <laughs> for all of the it Macs is. issues. It <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it, it's interesting, though, the way they phrased it. Like, and I'm, I'm not that I'm concerned about this, but I'm, I'm like, you curious about it. They said that basically they make a new alloy out of the aluminum shavings. It's not like they're saying we... we take recycled aluminum and what we end up with is exactly the same as if we had started with fresh aluminum right they and it's not post-consumer recycled it's it's post-apple manufacturing right know. which but it's interesting that they're saying that like that that it basically i'm imagining if you gave uh, a material scientist two chunks one of the recycled and one of the regular they could tell they were different like the, the apple phrased it as they're making a different alloy so i'm slightly wondering what it you know is, is it actually the same is it softer harder bendier more brittle more prone to to scratching like i mean you saw them in person i'm assuming they just felt like apple aluminum laptops right that's probably not any variance that we can tell yeah i mean like when you feel them for like two seconds it's kind of hard to to get a good idea of that kind of thing 
Yeah, so hopefully, like, and the reason I, I mean, I guess it is a concern. The reason I have a mild concern about this is, uh, you know, it's 100% the right thing to do. And I applaud Apple for doing it, and they should do it for all their products. But historically, as Apple has um, attempted to decrease the environmental footprint of their products, they've occasionally had struggles with matching the characteristics of the worst for the environment materials. Think about all the different plastics used for power cords. Think about when they went to lead-free solder on everything. It takes a little while to get the kinks worked out and to come up with, hopefully, a more environmentally friendly product that is also as durable and as pleasing and has the same performance characteristics as the worst for the environment thing that it replaces. So hopefully the aluminum is is not such a case and they've nailed it on the first try. I imagine it's probably closer because, you know, it's it's a big hunk of metal and it's not as perhaps as finicky as the uh you know something as delicate as the kind of plastic they use for their cords or whatever and although arguably uh some would say that no that no uh, plastic they've ever used for any of their power cords or lightning cables or whatever has ever been durable enough and that's a separate issue so for the macbook air on a you know typical academic rating scale of a through f how do we feel like that is? Because I, I I went from this is great to this is garbage to eh, it's fine. So I guess I would rate it like a C plus B minus. And then for the Mac Mini, I think this is an this is an A. Like this is this is a good this is a good a good update. Marco, how do you how do you feel about these two so far? Mac Mini, I'm with you. It's an A. The only thing that keeps you from being an A plus is that the pricing gets pretty steep pretty fast. Um, but it, but it's an A. The uh, MacBook Air, I, there's still too many unknowns. I, I I think we we need to see like how these perform in real life. We need to see like how things like the, you know the battery life should be pretty good actually. You know, given the size of the battery it has, uh, which is it's it's only about ten percent smaller than the Escape's battery. But if it has a processor that uses half the power, that's that's going to be noticeable. Um, so it should have really good battery life, but you know, performance might be questionable. The keyboard is eh, so I'm going to say based on John's logic of the, the MacBook Air being like the least crappy option of what Apple actually is willing to sell us right now, uh, it's kind of like it gets maybe like a B or a C, but at a crappy school. <laughs> All right. This grading system is getting more complex. By the moment. <laughs> yeah, it really is. John? I give the MacBook Air a B-, minus, uh, mostly uh, because I... You know, despite all the, the complaints we had about it, I think it is it offers something that its siblings in the lineup don't offer. Um, and the things that we didn't mention that Marco just brought up, like the battery life, like that's great. You know, that's the advantage of being a 13 inch MacBook one, essentially, is that uh, if you use the seven watt CPU, you can get a lot of battery life when your thing's slightly bigger. I give the mini an A minus mostly because the pricing is just I mean, it's always been bananas, but it's really bananas for for this particular machine. So, uh, and I was mostly considering a, the top of the scale, but uh, yeah, I'm going to get it a minus. We are sponsored this week by Eero who lets you never think about Wi-Fi again. Wi-Fi is tricky to get right. You need to cover your entire home. You need it to be easy to set up, easy to administer, and you need network protection for things like security issues, malicious content across your network. Eero addresses all of this. So they recently launched Eero Plus. This is total network protection with the ability to block malicious and unwanted content across your network. This has advanced security by checking the sites you visit against a database of millions of known threats, preventing you from accidentally visiting these malicious sites without slowing anything down. 
And they also offer content blocking if you want. Era Plus automatically tags sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, and you can choose what your kids can and cannot visit right in the super easy-to-use Eero app. They also offer ad blocking with Eero Plus. Get rid of annoying ads and pop-ups on all your devices on your Wi-Fi network. Ad blocking super improves load times for ad-heavy sites, so you can browse and stream way faster than ever before. They also have a selection of third-party security apps available, VPN protection from Encrypt.me, password management from 1Password, I love these two things, and antivirus software from Malwarebytes as well. And Eero routers are also just really good routers. They're super easy to set up. They give you a distributed network across your entire home, so you have great coverage with these wonderfully small but yet very technologically advanced Wi-Fi radios. It's the easiest setup I've ever seen of any router. I've set up a few Eero networks now, both for myself and others. It's so incredibly easy to use. I highly recommend it. So check it out today, eero.com slash ATP. And never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus. That's $100 off the package that has an Eero base unit, two beacons, and one year of Eero Plus at Eero.com slash ATP. And at checkout, use code ATP for that deal. Thank you so much to Eero for sponsoring our show. So we had a retail update and then iPad. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm going to cut to the end and and give my concluding statement up front, which is not exactly what John wanted to do, but that's okay. Uh, I I want an iPad for the first time in a long time. And if you recall, I had a RetinaPad Mini, uh, fourth generation, which they're still selling. They even Why? named it twice. Yeah. <laughs> Why they named it and they and they put it they put it on screen like that was that was the thing that blew me away. Spe- speaking of things that are on screen, at the very beginning of the presentation, they showed. I mean, not that we, we all the rumors had had leaked to the point, especially like in the hours before the presentation, we more or less knew what was going to be announced. But they had a big product shot that showed their lineup of Macs, right? And it was uh, the iMac Pro in the background, and it was like the 15-inch MacBook Pro and the 13-inch MacBook Pro, and then you know it was like all you know all arranged in a nice little family portrait. And off to the left was the only computer with a big silver face pointing you, the MacBook <laughs> <Yep>. Air, <laughs> and the Mac Mini was in a picture. Since when do they ever show the Mac Mini in a keynote presentation alongside other products? And it was clear that what they were going to do is take the two things in this picture that that are silver and replace them with ones that now fit in with the family. Now the Mac Mini is space gray, and now the MacBook Air has the same black screen face. So that's how you could tell early in presentation, if you didn't already know, that they were going to replace the MacBook Air and the Mac Mini. In the iPad presentation, I believe they showed the iPad Mini on screen briefly they did when they were saying here is our ipad lineup we have the ipad mini and the ipad and then we have the two pro models and for a moment i was like by showing the ipad mini are they telling me they're no of course and they didn't they didn't do it (laughs) it's still there it slid off the left side of the slide never to be seen again mentioned one more time in the presentation as the ipad mini 4 and anyway it remains a product in their lineup <laughs> so yeah, so I have an iPad Mini Four that actually, hand on heart, I'm not sure where it is because I haven't seen it. In a while. <laughs> I'm sure it's here somewhere, but darned if I know where. It's too small. You need a bigger one. Yeah, maybe that's the problem. But uh, these new iPads, they feel like modern Apple. Uh, I'm going to say computers, which kind of makes me feel a little weird, but modern Apple computers more than the iPads that preceded them do. You know, they 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 ditched the home button which looks archaic now. Um they're they're, you know, edge to edge screen for the most part. Um you know, no real big bezel for the most part. So they look and felt 
like modern Apple devices in a way that I don't think the iPad has. Even the iPad Pro just didn't look as modern to me once the once the iPhone 10 you know came into existence. All the iPads looked old and busted to me and the, and these do not. These look great, they feel great. They're super thin. I love the flat edges around the outside. Like I I am trying to figure out an excuse, you know, trying to convince myself that I need a 10-inch or, or oh, I guess 11-inch actually uh, iPad Pro. But I, I was very impressed. These things look great and make me want an iPad again. Here's the problem with these this iPad Pro announcement and my problem with my feelings about it. I look at the, their <laughs> presentation, their presentation of like what they chose to emphasize, uh, at what they spent time on, what they bragged about, and what the reality of these products is. And as excited as I'm getting about it, I'm like my suspicion, and we will find out shortly, is that the new iPad Pros are essentially faster in all meaningful ways than every single laptop Apple sells. <laughs> Which is yep. again, like you look at this thing, an eight core A12, right? Uh 120 hertz screen, pencil support. Like we would kill to get these kind of specs. And these kind of capabilities in any kind of thing that runs macOS, like I it, I, I believe someone was saying this, this has six gigs of RAM, which is double what the previous ones did. Like the this the iPad Pros are tickling all of the be dazzled by Pro hardware stuff. Like they used to be a staple of Apple's presentations. Like sometimes they tell you about the amazing thing you can get at a great price, and sometimes they say this is going to cost you an arm and a leg, but it's amazing. Like it has, it is incredibly powerful. It has new capabilities. Everything about it is incredibly fast. Let's just, we're going to brag to you about how fast it is and what it can do. And it's in a cool new form factor. Like it was pushing all of those buttons. And certainly I want one, right? But also I'm thinking, how, how amazing would an Apple laptop be with these internals? And Apple would say, what do you the hell do you need a laptop for? We got a cool keyboard for this. Like it's practically a laptop already. But, you know, me with the OS thing and all of the, the rumors about what iOS 13 will have that got kicked out of iOS 12 that may make this an even more uh, amazing computer. But, but yeah, setting aside my uncomfortable feelings about how I wish the laptop line was as powerful as these iPads, considered in isolation, these are amazing iPads. These are This is what we've come to expect from Apple in, like, the phone line. And now I feel like this is the first iPad that has received as much attention as the phones do that this new ipad is so much better in every possible way than all of its already pretty good predecessors like that's a feeling that we get very often in phones like oh the, the iphone 10 like it just makes the iphone 7 and, and you know it looks like junk right this is like you look at this and you look at the old ipads it's just you just fling them out the window like I don't, it's slower it's uglier i don't know where to put the pencil it doesn't have a USB-C port the speakers are worse the screen is worse everything is just like these totally eclipse all the previous ipads and they they're lust objects like they're they're things that you know if you're into ipads and even if you're not that into ipads like casey you see this and you want one because they press all yep. the the nerd buttons and, and if you if you can't figure out like to marco's point that he was saying before in slack maybe you're not that into ipads but you're like i wish i was because this thing is awesome like and i mean that's Marco exactly it that's like exactly me suspects that this this is this faster than every single laptop apple sells maybe like, we'll find out soon. Certainly it's faster than a hell of a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, you you cannot miss the contrast between the excitement and the energy and the mood around the laptop updates versus the iPad updates. Like, the Macs, 
it, it, the laptops seem like they are updated inconsistently, really incrementally, and almost begrudgingly. <laughs> like it seems like Apple doesn't even want <laughs> to update the laptops, and the updates they do to them have very often come with significant regressions or as i said earlier like significant compromises whereas the ipad updates are just blowing out the water like to the one before like the ipad updates are are just like all good and every year they're like these massive awesome major new upgrades to the ipad and it like it it is it's kind of sad as as a as a mac preferring portable person but as you said, John, like it makes me want to use the iPad for more things. And it's hard because the software still isn't there for a lot of the stuff I do and a lot of the ways I prefer to work. And a lot of those I don't think are going to change anytime soon. And I'm not it, – it's, it's unwise to buy an iPad now – thinking that, oh, well, in the future, this iPad will get much better in the, in the ways I care about. Like, you know, buy it now for what it is now. You know, don't, don't be relying on iOS 13 to maybe make it into a Mac for you. Uh, but it is striking, like, the, the massive difference. And, like, wow, these iPads, every, every iPad update for the last forever has been a, a, just a ridiculously awesome update with huge advances, no regressions, no compromises, and then... You have the Mac line, which is full of regressions and compromises in some really, you know, kind of tepid updates. Like the Mac line almost feels like they're punishing you for, for being a customer. And the laptop line. The la- yes, the Mac laptop line feels like feel like they're punishing you for being a customer. And and the iOS line is just like full of love and like the most amazing work that and it's just like I want so badly to move more of my portable needs to the iPad. I just don't I, don't, I don't think I can yet. Like, I don't think, like, Stephen Hackett made a great argument for this on, um, there's a, if, if you're a Relay FM member, there's a show that members get to hear called Fusion. And they did an episode today about, about this event and reacting to it. And you should be a Relay, a Relay FM member to, to hear this episode. <laughs> just go, go become a Relay FM member because it's worth it. And the, the, the analogy Stephen made, which I think is excellent that I'm going to rip off now, is that it's almost like you have, like, a supercar, that has just an incredible engine performance, but like can't put the power down on the road. You know, like it just like doesn't have like the, you know, tires or whatever, like to put that power down. It's like, that's how I feel about the iPad. Whereas like the iPads have incredible capabilities, incredible hardware, incredibly sophisticated, you know, frameworks and everything, but they're still fundamental parts of the, of the software, fundamental limitations of the OS and the way work has to get done, the limitations it has, the apps that are available that just make it really hard for a lot of us to take advantage of all that power that they have. And over time, that line is moving, you know, for like it's moving down. Like we are able to do more things with the iPad over time, but it still is very far from what you can do with a Mac in certain industries for certain needs. And a lot of people have at least one of those needs. So I hope so badly that iOS on the iPad catches up more to where the Mac is because there's no question that if you can get done on the iPad what you need to get done. It is the way better portable computer than any Mac laptops. Uh, to tweak uh, Stephen's analogy a little bit, it's I don't think it's so much that you can't get the power down. We everyone loves car analogies, like that that you just end up spinning <laughs> the wheels or whatever. It's it's because it does like it takes that power and it, it uses it. It's just that uh, this is getting worse. I hate car analogies. The road don't, doesn't go. <laughs> 
the roads don't go where we want to go. Like it can get the it can get the power down. Like because it when it's showing Photoshop, it's using all of its power to do that Photoshop demo. It's just that the road doesn't go where we want it to go. Where we want it to go is a particular work style, particular applications, and you know even even Photoshop. I was thinking about this when I was watching the demos. Like there are tons of people out there who who use Photoshop professionally right now, right? Um, and let's say those people came of age in their profession. Uh, at a time before iPads or for whatever reason, like they do their work not on an iPad. They use Photoshop, but they do work not on an iPad. Chances are really good that those people, the way they use Photoshop, and you've seen lots of people using Photoshop or use it professionally, is they either have a tablet with a bunch of buttons uh, and or use a keyboard. And like, so they're looking at a desktop computer, they're hitting keys on a keyboard or a tablet, and they're using a stylus. And that's a lot of input. They know all the single letter shortcuts for all the Photoshop co- stuff. They have customized their tablets to have these, you know, hardware buttons that do what they want. There's just way more input variability. And as nice as it looks to be able to sketch on an iPad Pro or whatever, and even with that touch thing on the screen, that is an efficiency downgrade for people who are experts at hitting the 17 keys they need to hit to do Photoshop quickly on a desktop PC. So if you told those people, hey, we're going to take away your desktop PC, whether it be a Mac or, or a Windows PC or whatever, we're going to take that away, we're going to replace it with an iPad. They're going to say, well, the screen is smaller. Oh, you can hook up an external screen. Well, but then going to hook up a keyboard? Well, then so you've got an iPad with a keyboard and an external screen attached, and it's like you're just trying to recreate a PC, right? So that's an example of a lot of power, but this thing, this road doesn't go exactly where they want it to go. Now, there's a whole new generation of people who are growing up right now who use Photoshop who never got used to a Wacom tablet and a keyboard and a desktop display. And that just seems like a crazy Rube Goldberg machine. Why wouldn't I just draw directly on the screen? And they're going to be used to the iPad. And they still probably want a bigger iPad at some point or whatever. Um, but I think there there's still this this bifurcation and, for lack of a better word, like uh, workflows or w- ways of working. We know from our own friends who are, you know, into the iPad lifestyle and they have workflows entirely built around iOS. Um, so it's just setting aside the things which exist where you just can't do on an iPad still for a variety of reasons. Even if you could do it on an iPad, like again, Photoshop, it's available on both now or will it be next year. You can do it on both. Why would you prefer doing it on a desktop? It's like, well, watch me use Photoshop and see how much my hand is hitting these keys on the keyboard and see how I use my tablet and see how I use my gigantic screen. That's why I'm still doing it here. And someone else is saying, oh, I never got used to those things. I'm just doing it entirely on my iPad. So I think we still have a ways to go for the iPad revolution Apple wants. And regardless of how the lines stack up against each other, it's not as if iPads have to compete with Mac stuff for people doing creative stuff. They have to compete against Windows PCs, too. It's like, if you're going to do audio editing, unless they have an awesome awesome audio editing application on the iPad with awesome keyboard support that supports a bigger screen and actually gives you a better experience than using a Windows PC with your favorite Windows, uh, with your favorite audio editing application, or a Mac, for that matter, it's it's still not going to win that race. So we're, you know, we're still awaiting the uh, the changeover, I suppose, when the people who prefer to work the old way and t- travel those old roads are retired or dead and the new way is all there is and maybe you know maybe they don't they don't know uh they don't know about the old way so they you know a giant ipad is fine for them uh speaking of audio editing uh jason snell was 95 percent ecstatic about these new ipads and five percent devastated because he often uses what is it ferrite to mm-hmm. edit podcasts on the go and there is no headphone jack in the new iPads. And so he is really annoyed because he wants to be able to do, you know, 
podcast editing with no latency whatsoever. And I guess his experience with AirPods is that there's enough latency there that it becomes frustrating for him. And so now he's going to have to use, you know, a USB-C a set of headphones or USB-C to headphone, you know, dongle. $9 from Apple. Yeah. And the headphone jack thing, it's like, this is the one downside besides the incredible price on these. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's, but, it's uh, only incredible if you think of it as an iPad. If you think of it as a laptop with no keyboard, it starts to get more, make more sense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the, the configuration that I would probably get, which is the 11 inch with keyboard and pencil, 256 was $1,400. <laughs> yeah, but you cannot buy a $1,400 Apple laptop that's anywhere near this performance. Like, that's again, true. I haven't seen benchmarks, but try, go try to find, give Apple $1,400 and try to get a laptop that comes close to the specs and performance of the thing you just described. Yeah, that's like, true. Granted, it's better as a laptop. It's better than having a floppy keyboard and all those other things, but it's 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 no contest in terms of the, the power and capabilities. Like Face ID, 120 hertz, uh, True Tone, you know, all this like amazing lightweight and everything. This thing is is an absolute monster. A better keyboard, the smart keyboard on the la- on the iPads is significantly nicer to type on, in my opinion, than the ones in the MacBook Pro. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far. I know you like it better, but I I, I, I like the laptop ones. Oh. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying it's better. <laughs> Although I wish it was backlit, but otherwise, yeah. I, I'm with Casey that I like the the feel of the laptops. I just wish they were reliable. Um, the, get, getting back to our early topic about how these compare to how the Mac is treated, one of the most important things about the iPad line in general is, uh, you know, in this update and basically all the updates before that in recent memory, every update shows me that Apple has learned from their past products, which were themselves good. Like, I mean, I have the original 9.7 inch pro, which I think was a fantastic iPad. Like remember when it came out, we were like, well, this is the pinnacle. Like this is just the ultimate iPad. It's great. It's got all this, like every new one that comes out that there's something about it that shows well, we made this awesome product last time and people loved it, but there were a few things that we could tweak and then they tweak them, right? And so this one, like there's no place to put the pencil. Now there's a place to put the pencil. The stupid cap is annoying. Don't worry about it. There's no cap anymore. It rolls off the table. It's got a flat side. The keyboard, uh, the smart connector, it's kind of awkward to use at certain angles. Well, now we have two angles, one for when you're looking down on a one for when something. It's like everything in their new product shows we heard you about the last product and in a timely fashion, we give you a new product that does some amazing stuff you maybe never even thought of, but also all the feedback you had about the open, we incorporate that. Like I'm I'm amazed at the the physical characteristics in terms of how many iterations they do of like the back case and the front case and dealing with the pencil and the connectors and where the speakers are and where the cameras and orientations. Every single iPad they get slightly better on it. There are minor regressions here and there where like, oh, this case is bad, or they only put the front case and not the back, or the sleeve was awkward and you know. But they they learn from they learn from their mistakes, right? That's what you want to see. Forward progress. Like there's a new set of mistakes. Maybe the headphone jack is not a great idea. You know, maybe there are other issues about this, which I think we'll get to in a bit when I talk about the the physical form factor of the thing. But that kind of progress is so heartening to see. Whereas in uh, you know in other and I feel like the same thing with the iMac, right? Or the, like assuming the iMac Pro was their new pro computer, that they that they listened to pros and said, like, we're not going to, you know, slim it down or whatever. It's, it's the laptop line, which we were constantly harping on, seems either not to learn from the mistakes or to learn on a much longer timeline, right? Because it wasn't that long ago that we got iPads with the pencil and had all those complaints about it. And it seems like only a couple years later, we have an entirely new iPad, totally reimagined, which addresses a whole bunch of the problems we have with the old one, including very, you know picayune things like the 
oh, well, I'm not really happy with the angle of the smart keyboard or the magnets in the smart keyboard. Like sometimes they're, you know, it gets loose or whatever. So now the magnets are stronger and now there's multiple angles and it attaches in a different way. It's just, you know, and this is not to say that their solutions to this one are perfect. I'm sure there'll be specific issues and complaints. And a lot of it owes, you know, if you look at this, it looks a lot like the Microsoft Surface in many aspects, right? Because, you know, it's not like Apple solving these for the first time and animate, but they're listening to their customers. They're they're looking at their products and thinking about how they could be better. And they've come up with a new product that improves upon all that stuff. That's so heartening to see. And it's, again, making me jealous for the Mac line. We are sponsored this week by Casper. Casper products are designed by humans for humans because you spend a third of your life sleeping and they believe you should be comfortable while doing it. So the experts at Casper work tirelessly to make quality sleep surfaces that cradle your natural geometry in all the right places. They now have three mattresses. The original Casper combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right amounts of both sink and bounce. All this is brought to you with a breathable design to help you sleep cool and regulate your temperature throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews at an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google, Casper is becoming the internet's favorite mattress. And now Casper offers two new mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Essential is a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. And the Wave, this is the one that, that I have, and I can strongly recommend it. If you can spring for the Wave, it's really good. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. And they also have a wide array of other products, pillows and sheets, to ensure you get a good night's sleep. All of these products are designed, developed, and assembled in the U.S. And they can bring these to you for affordable prices because they cut out the middleman selling directly to you. It's super easy to get Casper products. It's super easy to return them. They offer hassle-free returns within a 100-night trial. If you don't like it, you can send it back within 100 nights. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. So you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash ATP and using code ATP at checkout. That's casper.com slash ATP with code ATP. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for sponsoring our show and supporting me while I sleep. Casey and I got a chance to play with these new iPads for briefly in the hands-on area and they're just so good. Like, like I, I get to play with the pencil, the keyboard. I spent a lot of time with the 11 inch, only a little bit of time with 12.9. I couldn't get too much with it because um, there was there was this beautiful Italian man in front of me, but I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> um, but but it was the the uh, the 11 inch was fantastic, and I think one one of the one of the dilemmas that I think a lot of people will have now. The 12.9 didn't feel as ridiculous as the previous one. It didn't feel too big. It didn't feel too crazy. Now, maybe that's just like, you know, size inflation over time in the sense that like, you know, maybe we just figure like, well, you know, like, like when the 12.9 first came out, it was like, like, it was like when the, when the, when the iPhone 6 plus first came out and it was like the first giant iPhone most people had ever held and it just felt ridiculous. And now that feels normal. Like, I feel like that, like that's how that's part of how the twelve nine felt, but also the original twelve nine was really big, and and it, it was kind of hard to hold for a while and everything. The new twelve nine is not small, but the difference is smaller between the between that and the eleven, and it is noticeably smaller than it was before, and it no longer feels or looks like extreme or crazy. Like it, it now, it feels just like a, a big iPad, and I would be surprised. Like you know, we have a number of friends who are like real iPad power users uh, like Mike and Federico and and uh, and Jason and you know a whole bunch of people and and a lot of them will have 
they'll they'll either alternate between the two or they'll actually own both the 12.9 and the 10.5 or you know some other smaller one um, because the 12.9 is so unwieldy for like travel or whatever else. I bet this generation a lot of these people just get the 12.9 and are happy with just that because it is like if you're going to have a 12.9 at all, I don't I think the the justification for also having a smaller iPad is greatly reduced now. Not to mention the fact that they, they, these cost fourteen hundred dollars when you spec them up, but um, but like the twelve nine is actually, I think, a much more accessible and reasonable option to a lot more people than it was before. I would even maybe consider like if I was an iPad power user, which I'm not, but if I got to the point where I could do a lot of my work on the iPad, I would get a twelve nine because it, it is that much better. Yeah, I'm cons- I'm considering it too. Yeah, just because like who doesn't want a bigger screen and if it's right yeah you know, i have to see what it's like right and also the keyboard if you have a keyboard with it is also going to be a little bit roomier because it can be because the, the thing is longer it's it's definitely i'm gonna have to check them out in the store not that i'm i'm not planning to buy a new ipad but of course i want one like who, who wouldn't want one? it's it's awesome um it, one of the things about this design it's the the edges are straight like it's it's like an iphone iPhone 5, people can keep going to the iPhone 4, but it's more like the iPhone 5. Like, it is like a, a, an aluminum bathtub with right angle sides, right? Uh, and a lot of times, <laughs> if you look at the uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the laptops, like, you know, take take the MacBook Escape or any any the, the MacBooks you've seen lately, very often, I mean, part, part of the, the thing to make them seem thinner is that the edge, the flat edge that you see on Apple laptops is thinner than the height of the entire laptop, Right. It's not like, you know, that whatever that flat portion is like, oh, that's how thick it is. Well, it's not. There's there's a curve section that goes underneath. And part of that is to make it seem thinner than it is. Because if you had flat slab sides, it would look thicker, even though it would actually be the same thickness. But there's another super important reason that tons of products, including almost all of Apple's historically, that sit flat on a table, don't have right angle sides, just straight up right angle sides that go all the way down, that they have that curve. And that's so you can pick the freaking things up. Because if you made an Apple laptop or any other device that had that was made of aluminum, perfectly machined, flat, blah, 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 where the sides were straight all the way down, you'd go to try to pick it up. And you wouldn't realize that you do this, but you'd go to try to pick it up with one hand. You have an expectation that you can get your fingertips under the edge of the device. And if it went straight down to the table, you couldn't do that. You'd try to grab it and you'd just be pinching at this little right angle corner on the top of the thing. You can't pick up a laptop that way. Like, you have to get your fingers underneath it somehow. So you maybe you push it sideways, or maybe you'd hope that it had rubber feet that elevated enough and you get your fingernails underneath it or whatever. It would be awkward. The fact that you never have to think about this with Apple laptops, that's called good design. Like, they make them that way on purpose, not just for ventilation, not just to make it look thinner from the side, but because it's really important. You can't freaking pick the things up if they didn't do that. So when they made a phone like that, well, how did the iPhone 5 or 4 work? those work because you can pinch it you can have one finger on one side and a thumb on the other and you can pick the whole thing up you have you never trying to like pick it up from one edge try that put an iphone 5 down on the, on the table and try to pick it up without having fingers on opposing sides anywhere like just from one edge it's not a fun game to play the only thing that might help you uh not in the iphone 5's case but in the case of, of this uh thing i made a joke on twitter that like the whole reason they had that gigantic camera bump is so that you finally have some fighting chance of getting your fingernails underneath the thing to pull it off the table but casey who was there tells me that actually despite the huge size of the camera bump it doesn't really help that much and it still is kind of difficult to get off on the table so casey can you fill me in on exactly how difficult it's going to be for me to pick up a caseless new ipad pro from a table well you know 
One of the things about going today was that it is clear that I was wholly unprepared <laughs> for being there because once I got to the the hands-on area, I like didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, obviously, I went to play with all the things, but I didn't... You take your hands and you put them on the product. <laughs> well, I was right, which is what I did. It's right there in the name. Yeah, it's right, right. It's exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, but no, I, it was funny because... That, that, Marco gives you that advice to put your hands on it, but if you recall, the, the last time I did that, at the uh, WWE, oh, yeah, the iMac Pro was introduced. Yeah, yeah. I went straight to the iMac Pro and I grabbed the mouse and keyboard, and, and an Apple person practically slapped the back of my hand and said, "I'm sorry, you're not allowed to touch these devices. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. don't be fooled." I actually, I had, I had a moment like that. My my very first thing, I, I went up to the MacBook Air because everything, all the iPads were mobbed when we first got in there, and no one was at the Airs. So I went over to the Airs, and uh, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was like pick it up, and so I picked it up, and I was able to do that. But then I was. What I do when I'm in an Apple store, when I want to see a new laptop and experience it for the first time, is I pick it up and I close it. And then I see how it feels when it's closed. So I picked it up. I'm looking around. The Apple person's fine with that. As soon as I close it, like, oh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, sorry. Jeez. They, like, open it back up. And, like, nothing happened. Like, it, it, I, they didn't have to, like, log back in or anything. Like, it, I don't know why I wasn't allowed to close it. But I, I know they're very particular about things like this. So I just, I didn't, I didn't like, push any more boundaries <laughs> while I was there. Yeah. But to, to more directly answer your question, John, or really to answer your question at all, John, at one point I was using, I believe it was the 12-inch. And... It it ended up like I took it out of the keyboard folio case, whatever it's called, and I put it on the table up the smart keyboard folio. Thank you. And I think it might have been upside down, so maybe I lied to you. I can't remember if it was upside down or right side up, so maybe the camera bump would have helped. But one way or another, I put the thing down on either its belly or its back, and I went to grab it, not thinking anything. I'm like, I'll just grab it, pick it up, and then I was struggling. Like it wasn't like I. It wasn't the sort of thing where I just it took a couple of tries to get it like it i had to like actually deliberately like like try to dig it up off of the the, t- the table it was really surprising now I, I maybe i'm making a mountain out of nothing maybe it was just i was being a klutz that one moment but it was striking to me in that moment that it was actually very difficult to get it up off the table and i i didn't couldn't really figure out why until you know you had said oh well typically these things are curved so you have something to pinch at and uh, again, maybe you'll get this in your hands and maybe it, maybe it won't be that bad at all. But it was surprising to me that it was fairly difficult to pick it up. Now, in the grand scheme of things, I would expect if I would to ha- if I were to have one of these, it would always be in the keyboard, smart keyboard folio, whatever it's called. Um, and, and so it wouldn't be a problem. But it, it was surprising how how difficult it was to pick up. But that being said, it felt amazing in the hand. Every time I look at a 12, 5, 12, 9, whatever the hell it is, uh, iPad from before today, every time I see one, I think to myself, my word, that is a large iPad. It's, you know, it's like when I used to see the the Plus Club. Like, that is a big phone. Well, here, that is a big iPad. But granted, there, you know, I was walking between different stations. It wasn't like I was going, you know, next door between these different stations. But when I walked, you know, across this little room from an 11 inch to a 12 inch, it was surprising how little difference I saw between them. Yeah. And the 12 inch looked much closer to the 11 than I would have expected. And additionally, they felt great in the hand. It didn't feel particularly heavy. I mean, admittedly, I was not holding these for more than a few moments, but you know, it didn't feel terribly heavy. They looked great, felt great. The keyboard cover felt 
particularly good. Like I've never owned an iPad Pro. I've only played with them a handful of times. But the way I recall the iPad Pro and jump in when you're ready, fellas, is that, you know, the, the keyboard cover was like lumpy because part of it had two folds and the rest had one or something. Definitely along those lines. true. Mm-hmm. And that did not appear to be the case here, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, the magnets were incredible everywhere. For the pencil, they were extremely strong. For the keyboard cover, I would almost say for the keyboard cover, they might have even been too strong. So when you sit it in one of the two different positions, you know, the two different angles, I, I was struggling, again, probably just because I'd never done it before, but I was struggling to to, to pull it up enough to move it to the other position, which actually is, I think, a good problem because this way you know it's stable. But everything about these iPads just felt great. The display looked great. Now, I don't have your eye, John. I'm not as discerning as you when it comes to these things. But the display looked great. Uh, Face ID seemed to work real well. Even in this super crowded room where everyone was like, you know, shoulder to shoulder with each other. I mean, obviously got confused from time to time because it would look at the wrong face, whatever. But it worked really well. As people have pointed out... um, it actually says to you when you're holding your finger over the the sensor array. I forget exactly what the phrasing is, but it basically says your camera covering. is covered. There you go. Like and and I did not notice at the time, but I since I have since seen that they actually point at the sensor array. Like there's an arrow on screen pointing at the sensor array to let you know that's the finger that's covering everything up. Um, I also liked. I think they showed this on the keynote, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, when you take the pencil to a locked iPad. As long as it can scan your face, it will jump directly into notes to let you, you know, sketch a note or whatever the case may be. Um, the little double tap on the pencil to swap between different um, uh, tools worked really well. Uh, in settings, you can choose between uh, different things that that does. I guess just for notes, you can do a toggle to eraser, toggle to the last tool you use, toggle a color palette, which was interesting. Uh, everything about these iPads look great. And I forget if it was you or Marco. I think it was Marco that said, um, you know, I just wish more of the things I did on a computer worked on an iPad. And I bet I could make a lot of them work. But, man, I really want an iPad for the first time in a very, very long time. Yeah, the thing you mentioned about the keyboard doubling up, yet another example of the past, you know, it was great that we had the cool keyboard that people really like for the old iPad, but that was like a slight ward. It was like, ah, oh, it's kind of funny when you put the keyboard case on this one side is lumpier. Solved in this generation. They addressed it, right? And I think, and actually getting back to the the camera bump briefly, I think the uh, the folio case thing with, with, with or without the keyboard, uh, the fact that there is a front and a back surface, the back surface is important because that's where the smart connector is now, as all the rumors said. Uh, it's kind of in the middle. It's kind of weird how the keyboard thing connects. It's not on the edge. It's like in the in the the middle, like dorsally. You know, it's like the spine, right? But but it just so happens that the keyboard cover goes down that far enough to to catch the connector and charge it, right? That it, it's covered on the back and on the front with a single layer. The fact that the covers are made of that squishy kind of whatever that is material with a little thin edge means that if you put it on its back or on its front with the cover or the keyboard on it. Even though it flattens out the camera bump, I suspect you will have an easier time getting your fingers underneath it because that's what you want. You just need just enough leverage to lift it up enough for you to shove your fingers underneath it because then you can grab it with fingers underneath and thumb on top with a single hand. That's what you do with laptops and all sorts of other things when you pick it up with one hand off the table. So it is uh, a, a surface that evens out the camera bump makes it easier to pick up off the table potentially than than a bare thing even with the camera bump because you have that squishier area and that little fin that you can put your fingers under. Doesn't make it lumpy on the top if you have a keyboard because it's uniform thickness all the way through. 
And also, I think this is also important, doesn't go around the edges. So it's not like your iPad is inside a tub of any kind. It's, <laughs> it's like a sandwich. The edges are still just the, the bare aluminum. So it doesn't make your iPad wider. You know, you've all had experience of you put an iPad in a case and this beautiful svelte thing that you bought suddenly feels like chunkier, which, by the way, is what you want. If you have it for kids, you want to put it in the, the world's craziest chunky case. But for an adult who can take care of things, you know, it's nice to be able to have all the benefits of the protection. Oh, you don't have to worry about putting it down. It's not going to scratch. Um, it's evened out with the camera bump. It's made easier to pick up. Maybe you get a keyboard as part of the bargain, but it doesn't make it any wider or taller. And so I think we'll make it not feel as bulky and make you not feel that you're this beautiful naked robotic core that you got is suddenly buried inside this, you know, rubberized tomb. It's more like you're just putting this beautiful neoprene sandwich protective sandwich around your thing and it's a sandwich that potentially gives you a keyboard uh i really again having not seen or touched this in person in the abstract i am in love with the new what did you call it the new wardrobe for the ipads not to mention the fact there's a place to put the pencil and and the flat pencil and everything i'm in love with the ipad wardrobe yeah like so i as a full-time smart keyboard user and as i mentioned last time like the smart keyboard transform the ipad into something that i actually use on a regular basis because i it is always not only it is not only does it help text input greatly and dramatically improve my ability to use an ipad but also it is a really good stand to have it on the counter in my kitchen where it spends most of its time or on, on the dining room table or on the couch at night like it's just really really good and I've, so I've used the, I used, used the uh, 10.5 smart keyboard for a year now or a year and a half used the uh, use the 9.7 before that they're wonderful um, th- I did have a chance to play with the smart keyboard folio today on the new iPads, and in some ways it's worse. I think in most ways it's probably better. It- it's the kind of thing that like I'm gonna need just more time with it. I'm gonna need to do things like sit down with it on my lap because like that's one area where the old one kind of fell over literally sometimes. Uh, and I I, I didn't feel like they would probably let me like sit on the floor <laughs> cross legged with the with the iPad <laughs> in the hands on area, so I didn't try that. Uh, but you know, there's a lot about the old one that just, you know, it, it wasn't very good on laps. It, you know, it, it would tip over, it would tip back or forward depending on how you were sitting. Um, it was very good on counters, uh, but that was about it. The new one has these two angles. The the steeper of the two angles, which is the new one that didn't exist on the previous one, is very steep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That did not work for me at all uh, at table height, but it wasn't designed for that. It was designed for, like, lap use. So I'll have to try that sometime and see how that actually works if I get one of these. Um as John mentioned, the smart keyboard folio does cover both sides fully. Before, the previous one would only cover like a little bit of the back when it was open, and when it was closed, it would cover none of the back. It was basically just like a big, you know, front side cover that unfolded. Um, the magnets are pretty strong. the The one thing I didn't like about it that I that I made immediate note of is that sometimes, you know, like I, I keep the I keep the smart keyboard on my iPad almost always. Uh, and sometimes like if I'm sitting on the couch, just like browsing the web at night, I will flip it back and just hold the iPad like a regular iPad with no keyboard attached as if it was smart cover that you flipped back. You can do this with the, with the new smart keyboard, but it's worse. Uh, not, not only was it kind of a clumsy move to flip it back, but also the keys when it's flipped back now face outward so that when you're holding it, your hands are on the keys now, it's smart enough not to activate the keys when it's in this mode, so you don't have to worry about accidental input, but it just it just feels weird to me to like be holding the front of a keyboard with the back of my hands as I'm holding my iPad. <laughs> not, like, that's just kind of like... And I know the, these kinds of things are really tricky to design because 
no matter how you design it, you come up with some kind of downside, like like what John was saying about you know whether it's lopsided or whatever. Like, there's always some kind of downside to these things. Um, but I that was one that I thought was a little bit weird with this. That like when you, when you flip it back, you're touching the keys with your hands when not using it, and that's kind of odd. Um, but otherwise, I'm I really am curious to spend time with this. I'm a little curious. I didn't get an idea about the weight of the keyboard, and as far as I can find, the site doesn't specify the weight anywhere. Um, so I would love to know if anybody knows how much do these smart keyboards weigh? Because um, one of the issues with the old one is that when you have the smart keyboard cover on the old iPad Pro, it does noticeably increase the weight of the iPad. Yeah, it's made of tungsten. I'm always amazed by this. My wife has a smart keyboard, and I pick up her iPad, which is ostensibly the same iPad as mine, and it feels like it is just the world's most dense object. I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> what, if, what is in this? Do you have fishing weights hiding somewhere? It's not that much heavier. It feels so heavy, it makes me angry. So I'm, I'm hoping this one is lighter. <laughs> yeah, like I weighed, I weighed mine earlier. It's it, the, so the 10.5 inch smart keyboard is a, just a little, little over half a pound. It's 0.54 pounds. Now the iPad itself is one pound, so it increases the weight of the iPad by 50. percent So like that's that's a significant increase, and that's why like whenever I take it off for any reason, which is rare, I'm always shocked at how light the iPad is by comparison. <laughs> But I, I would love, like, if I'm, I'm a little concerned, given how much more material there is seemingly in the new uh, keyboard cover, I'm a little concerned they might be heavier. Uh, I, I at least, I hope they're at least not heavier. I would love if they could find a way to make them lighter uh, without ruining the keyboard, but I, I don't know that that's possible. So I think we should talk about USB-C a little bit. Yeah. The, that, that rumor was true. There is no lighting port. There is instead a USB-C port. And I, you know, watching the presentation, despite all the rumors and everything, I found myself thinking, especially as they went through this thing, like, well, of course, because laptops have USB-C ports, not lightning ports on them. And this thing is so much closer in the spectrum between, like, phone and laptop. Like, it is, you know, it is an amazing laptop that's not a laptop. There's no reason it should have the same connector to the phone. I think it should have more USB-C ports. What the hell else is new? Uh, but I <laughs> am totally on board with USB-C. Setting aside all the external, you know, connectors and connecting up to a camera and a, a 5K display. Remember when we were back like, oh, I wonder when the, the new Mac Pro will be able to connect to a 5K display. Now the iPad can do it. Uh, it is entirely the, the right connector. There should be more of them. Uh, goodbye, lightning on the iPad. Oh, I won't miss you. And I really hope... So you know, the, the iPad is showing off a brand new industrial design style. I hope we get that on the iPhone in the in the future, and hopefully in the near future, maybe next year. We already did. It was the, called the iPhone 5. Everyone loved it. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, like The new iPads basically look like the iPhone 5, which is awesome. I love the iPhone 5 and the SE, like, like that, and the 5S. Like, it, they look like the 5S, really, like with the space gray and the, the straight edges and everything being just nice in your hand. Um, so I, I would love for the iPhones to return to that. I, I don't think that's incredibly likely, um, because the iPhones, I think, I think the thickness matters a lot more on the phone and I can't see them going thicker to add USB-C, which they would have to probably do. Um, but boy, I would love that. That would be so cool. It, it is a little bit weird now. Like so now that we have USB-C, it's a little weird that you, if you're traveling with an iPhone and an iPad, you now need two power cables, uh, it is kind you just of cool. Need one. You just need a USB-C to Lightning, and they both charge each other. That's how it works. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like that. It is kind of cool that the, motion machine. that the iPad can now charge the phone, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. No, I, th- uh, I think that, that, you know, if you happen to have those cables, it doesn't come with the phone. But, but yeah, I, I think it makes sense. Although, like, think everyone has, 
habits weird habits like i I have a lightning cable by my nightstand but i just have one of them because i'm never fine i basically i charge my phone at night and my ipad during the day and everything works out but now i would need two cables if i got this thing i would need one USB-C for the uh or i can have an adapter or some crazy but you know it's it's the right connector for this product uh but as many people have been pointing out oh now the phone is the odd one out right now it's now it's one of these things is not like the other um but Apple sells so many more phones than every other product that we're talking about combined. It's not even funny, right? So I don't think there's any peer pressure from Apple's product line for the phone to immediately change to USB-C. And, you know, t- people tend, uh, people, I was going to say people tend to freak out when you change the connector on the phone, but it's happened so rarely. But the problem is that just so many people have the phone. So if and when Apple does, either change the connector on the phone or get rid of the connector and go all wireless or inductive or whatever a little based on their airpod success their air power success i don't see that happening anytime soon um i don't think there's any pressure from the rest of the line because the phone the phone is the thing the phone is the product everyone cares about there are so many of them 100 million max is there installed they sell 100 million iphones like in a quarter or something no not in a quarter i don't know um but there's a lot of there's a lot of iphones out there so i think iphones can cruise along with lighting for a while longer certainly it would make some kind of unifying sense for them to be USB-C. but as we've discussed a lot in the past when we talked about whether the iphone 10 would have USB-C. i wish i could remember that show number there are advantages to lightning those advantages continue to exist and at this point there's a lot of lightning stuff out there for phones um it's not like 30 pin where they're in hotel rooms at least i haven't seen them but <laughs> it's close uh so i think we get, we got to ride out this lightning thing on the phone uh for at least a few more years but ipad USB-C, or thunderbolt or anything like that basically any laptop any connector you can imagine on a laptop those connectors are right at home on the ipad pros because the ipad pros are basically amazing laptops without keyboards i think though i think a good counter argument to the, to the uh lightning is everywhere thing though is that Android phones use USB-C now. So anybody who's looking to like have a cable at a clock radio at a hotel or something like that, like if you just put USB-C cables there, you'd be able to cover all phones in this future where iPhones have USB-C. So like yeah, I feel like I feel like they were burned by 30 pin. Like have you seen any yeah. USB-C ones? Have you seen no. like maybe they decided, you know what, let's not chase computer connectors with our hotel peripherals because yeah. that's going to, you know. Not only have I not seen any USB-C ones, I still see 30 pin ones sometimes. <laughs> and and you know, if you think about this, what do you see everywhere in terms of computer connectors? USB-A. USB-A is on airplanes. USB-A is on every, like, charging station. USB-A is still everywhere. Uh, and that doesn't, you know, that that's a non... That's the, the other end of all of our cables, right? It's USB-A to USB-C. USB-A to Lightning. So if we can if we can dislodge USB-A, that'll be progress. But, yeah. So I, I, I can totally see Apple going to USB-C. Uh, if this if, if the current situation is sustained for a long period of time, they just probably won't be able to avoid it despite the fact that it's thicker and not proprietary and all the other, you know, things or whatever. But I don't see a reason for them to rush to it now. I'm perfectly happy with lightning on my phone and for all subsequent phones, but on an iPad, love the USB C. Let me give you one small counter argument, which is something that we can easily get past, but is another expenditure. You know, if I were to have an iPad now, like if I take my iPad now, which I don't know where it is, like I said, but let's just assume I knew where it was and I was using it and I'm out and about like, I don't know, at an Apple event because, uh, you know, we're cool like that. Well, maybe um, if I was using it and I ran out of you know juice and I 
didn't have an outlet nearby, I would take one of the, say, like batteries out of my away suitcase, which is exactly what I did today. I traveled without a suitcase, but I took the battery out of my away. Uh, they're not a sponsor this week. But they're a past sponsor. Uh, I took the battery pack and I used the USB-A port on that battery pack to charge my phone or I could have charged an iPad. That's not going to be quite so easy, is it, with USB-C? I know you can go USB-A to USB-C, but is that is that going to be enough power to actually power one of these iPads? So are you going to have to get... Yeah, it is. It it's, will be okay? It, not, not at full speed. Like, so you can... There are there are A to C cables now. In fact, the Nintendo Switch charges controllers with those. It comes with them. Um, but it's, uh, oh, it, it's yeah, limited yeah. to a certain wattage. I think it's going to be about 12 or 15 watts, maybe, something like that. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, like, so you can do it. It would just maybe, maybe be slow. And also, one new little tidbit, the iPads now come with a new and seemingly unbuyable separately 18-watt USB-C power brick. So that's cool. I, I uh, look forward to being able to buy more of those um, because it seems like that's everything I've been wanting. There's also now a few other new USB-C peripherals. So the aforementioned USB-C 2 headphone adapter, dongle, $9. Um, there's also a USB-C SD card reader now uh, to work with the new iPads. There's a new 1-meter one, one charge cable that comes with it because it's as I think it's the same charge cable as that comes with the new laptops, but those all come with two meter cables. This has a one meter cable, and you can buy those separately. And also, a fun little tidbit: uh, you can now get an Apple Watch charging cable that has a USB C end. Oh, interesting! It's and it's only one foot too, so it's it's clearly meant for travel, which is great. Because like one thing I've been doing, even though I don't usually travel with the Apple Watch, but one thing I've been doing is. I've been simplifying my travel setup to try to just be all USB-C for everything. The power bricks, all the cables, all the battery, everything. Everything I travel with is USB-C. Okay, Gray. Yeah, no, there's, there's a reason for that. Because, like, carrying, like, two copies of all your cables sucks. So I'm trying to, you know, I've been trying to do this over the last few months. Like, anytime I can find a way to eliminate a USB-A cable from my travel setup, I do. Because if I can make everything the same, which today that has to mean USB-C, because otherwise you have dongles on that end you know, good. And apparently, um, in the last like week or something, Apple released an Apple watch charging cable with USB-C on the end. And that was perfect. Cause that's like the one thing, like I always thought like if I had to travel with my Apple watch, I would have to bring some kind of USB-A power brick to charge just that because it had, it had that one cable and that was your only option. So now you have two options. That's nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to like, we're just, we're, we are slowly, moving to this USB-C world where you can actually go go all in on it but we're not we're still not there yet there's still huge missing parts like the hub situation is still terrible but we are taking these baby steps and we're, we're slowly working our way towards there hopefully we'll get there before USB-D comes out and we'll have to throw all these cables away <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I think is a minor regression from going lightning to USB-C has nothing to do with the with the port and not even that much to do with the connector, but in my experience, the cables, the cables that are attached to USB-C connectors at sort of the length of the stiff part of the connector, the thickness and bendiness of the cable, like even the ones that are just power, like the one that you connect to like the, uh, the one that comes with laptops, I think that's not like a full USB-C data cable. It's mostly just for power. It's USB 2.0, not 3.0. That's why. So it actually, it, it is thinner than it would be if it had the USB 3.0 uh, speed, but it, it is power and USB 2.0 data. Right. And, and it's because it's so long that it, even for USB 2, it has to be a little bit thicker, right? But lightning cables are very thin. The stiff part of the connector is very short. Uh, 
And it's just generally like it feels less like there is a stiff twig poking out of the side of your thing <laughs> and then a, a fairly stubborn garden hose size cable coming out. It feels more like there's a light string with a with a little stiff nub, right? And that's that's going to be a downgrade um, because the thicker the cable and the longer the stiff part, the more unwieldy it is to plug stuff like this in. And that's just that's just the nature of USB-C, I think. Even Apple's cables uh, exhibit that pattern. Um, it's also one of the advantages of lighting for the phone because the phone is a small, dainty device compared to an iPad or a laptop, and it should have a small, dainty connector with a small, dainty cable. That's exactly what we have with lightning, and I enjoy that. And it will be a slight downgrade to go away from that with uh, the iPads. But again, it's 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 I think it's the appropriate connector for this device. And, you know, I, speaking of this, like, when the iPad first came out, Especially given Springboard and the lack of major interface changes to support the iPad, the the slam against it, and you know, was it? Oh, it's just a big phone. Despite the fact that this looks like an iPhone five, this is the farthest from a big iPhone that the iPad has ever been. Right? It's they're they're huge. They're incredibly powerful. They're massively advertised with a keyboard. Like it's so intrinsically built in. They have they have the pencil support. Uh, it doesn't feel like the iPad is in the shadow of the iPhone anymore. Like they've diverged from each other so significantly. Uh, and the iPad continues to go so far up market. Well, I guess the phone is chasing it. You can get a $1,400 phone too. Uh, but I, I just feel like there, there's a much more healthy separation. That separation will be even healthier if and when iOS 13 comes out with much more iPad specific features. But even as things stand now, I think there's a a comfortable distance between the two and the, the slam that, oh, why would I want an iPad? It's just a big iPhone. I don't think anyone's saying that anymore when they look at these things. Try running Photoshop on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could probably run it, which is the sad thing because the freaking CPU is insane. But uh, it, not maybe the best screen to do serious Photoshop work. Uh, one interesting thing that I overheard was Marco talking to the developer of the DJ app. And... If I, it was hard for me to hear because everyone was shouting and, you know, even three feet from your face, Marco, it was hard to yeah. hear what you were saying. But it sounded like you had asked the developer, hey, can you do kind of whatever you want with the external display or do you have to, you know, is it something like the Apple Watch where, you know, you can only put certain, you know, UI kit elements or certain widgets, if you will, in certain places, et cetera. And, and jump in whenever you're ready. But it sounded like he said it's, it's, it's a free for all. You can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, because I was wondering, like, it was it, one of the little oddities in the in the uh, presentation was that w- like the very first thing they showed doing external monitor, it was it was letterboxed because the monitor was it was just mirroring the iPad screen, and the monitor was a different aspect ratio than the iPad, and I thought that was kind of odd. And then later on, they showed a different app uh, using an external monitor that it was filled all the way, and so I was wondering, I, you know, there has been external monitor support in the iOS SDK for a while now. Uh, but I've, I have never used it for anything because um, there aren't a lot of reasons to play podcasts on external monitors. Um, and so I, I've never had a reason to use these APIs. Um, so I was just basically asking him, like, you know, can you just put whatever you want on that or can it only do certain things like mirroring or whatever else? And and yeah, he basically said, like, you, you can just, like, I was asking, like, can you just render to it as any kind of window or surface or whatever? And he basically said, yes, like, you can just put whatever you want there. So it is not going to be like with with Macs and PCs. The OS automatically expands itself and all applications to be usable in some form on 
whatever number of monitors you plug into them. That isn't the case on iOS. On iOS, like each app has to implement its own support for whatever's going on externally. Or I think you can always just mirror the display, and that'll always work. But that won't fill the screen, and that might have other weird effects like not being able to you know interact with it and everything else. So it's 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 always going to be a little bit different with iOS in the sense that like you need each app to actually code support for external displays and for that support to actually be for something useful um, for for this kind of dream scenario where you're using an external monitor with your iPad. But at least that's now like a little bit easier to do. It now requires fewer dongles. The thing's more powerful and can drive bigger screens. So like that should probably happen more as the pro software market on the iPad arrives and matures. They were showing all these scenarios. I forget if some of them are in videos or some are in Apple sites. Maybe some of them are from the hands-on area, like where they'd show someone with an iPad Pro and they'd have it hooked up to like a camera, but also to like an external display. And they, they I guess it must have been a photo. Like they have the person posing. Like it's like okay, like you know, first of all, you have it hooked up to both a camera and an external display, which means there's some kind of dongle happening there. I don't see it in the picture, but we all know <laughs> it's there because you can't plug both of those things into a single port. You got to have some kind of adapter or dongle which is fine that's the beauty of you know the port right well the good thing is that everyone in the apple community is now very much familiar with how you multiply one usb-c port into multiple ports yeah uh but they didn't show it in the picture and then the next thing is okay well so on the big screen was like a photo and on the small screen was like a photo application with a bunch of thumbnails but all right so i my application decides it's going to use an external display you can't touch the external display, as far as I know. Although I think uh, Steve Trout and Smith says basically the o- there is OS support for external touchscreens. It's just that, as far as I know, that's not a thing that's possible with any current hardware or software. Um, but in theory, like there's nothing preventing it, technologically speaking, down the road. But right now, you can't touch it. Uh, there's no cursor, no mouse cursor, so it's not like you can use an input device, a, a touch input, and l- while looking up at the the external screen. Because you wouldn't see what the heck you're doing. You have to look down or across or whatever at the iPad when you're doing anything interactive. Because all of the interaction is happening on the iPad. That's where you touch. And you have to look at what you're touching. So I suppose you could do something on the iPad and then look up to the screen. And then look down at the iPad and then look up at the screen. It just seemed like an uncomfortable scenario. I'm sure there's lots of clever uses that people can find for external displays, but as a general purpose, to your point, Marco, as a general purpose solution, as in desktops have general purpose support for external displays and everything about their OS and input elements and everything lends itself to saying, hook up more displays, we just roll with it. It's just more of the same stuff. With iOS, it's like, you on the iPad, you've got your iPad, that's where you do your interaction, and you can hook up an external display, which is basically just like a bucket to throw pixels that occasionally you might want to look at. <laughs> but you can't really be... I suppose you could you could use the iPad as a giant game controller and project the game up onto there, but even that is a little bit weird. I don't know. Um, I'm sure people will come up with clever scenarios, but it's a, it's a slightly uncomfortable hybrid, even more so than hooking up an external display to a laptop. Because again, if you had an external display hooked to a laptop, you could be using the trackpad on the laptop while you stare at the giant 5K display. It's not ideal, like you'd probably rather have a docking station and a real keyboard and a mouse, but it's a thing that you could do. But with the iPad, I'm, I don't know. I, maybe maybe Vitici knows how to use an external 5K display on his iPad, and he will tell us all the amazing productivity he gets from that arrangement. Right now, I'm I'm wondering I'm wondering what the best use of that capability is for iPad power users. One other thing, keeping I mean, this is kind of good. Uh, not that my kids were going to get new iPad Pros, but. 
as I think I've mentioned in other podcasts, my children spend their entire life with an essential life support umbilical cord snaking from their ears down to an iPad, which they carry in one hand, leaving them only one hand to live the entire rest of their life with. So they must they must live their life just with one hand. If they need to brush their teeth, one hand. If they need to eat, only one hand is available. If they need to take out milk and pour it in their cereal, they can only use one hand because the other hand has an iPad in it. And by the way, there's a very precarious cord snaking from their ears to the iPad, which can catch on things. You have to be careful. So it's a very delicate dance being my children. Anyway, these iPads, (laughs) these iPads have no headphone port. So I said, well, kids, you may think these new iPads are great, but if I got them for you, how would you live? You you can't be connected to headphones anymore. And they said, wait, what? There's no headphone port? I'm like, yes, children. There's no, I won't tell them about the adapter, but like, (laughs) Apple has a hilarious picture on their iPad Pro page that shows, it says accessories, explore cases, headphones, speakers, and more. And it shows a picture of an iPad Pro with two AirPods floating in the air above it. This is Apple's way of saying, guess what? AirPods. (laughs) You know, don't bother with that $9 connector. Buy $160 Bluetooth earbuds. Uh, and my kids, they know about AirPods because I have them, my wife has them. But the thought of my children having AirPods, for, they'd have them for 15 minutes and then we would never find them again. So that's not going <laughs> to happen either. And honestly, they don't know the beauty of AirPods, so they don't even want them. So they are a little bit frowny faced about the lack of a new, uh, lack of a headphone port. Myself, I I can't remember the last time I plugged headphones into my iPad because I'm all in on the AirPod lifestyle because I'm an adult who can keep track of AirPods. But kids... I guess they'll just have to stick with the old 10.5. See, to me, like, the, the headphone jack removal is the only real down, as, as besides the cost, as I said earlier, but, like, the headphone jack removal is, like, I, too, as, as the adult using the iPad, I, too, have almost never plugged headphones into my iPad in the last, like, couple of years. But why remove it? They didn't give a reason. They didn't even mention it was removed. But, like, if you think about it, like, the reasons that, it, that applied to the phone, which even they were shaky, but, like, it's not for thinness. It's not for water resistance. It's not for a lack of internal volume. Like if you look at a teardown of, an, of a modern iPad, there's tons of empty space in there. It's not for cost reasons because there's tons of profit on these. It's still on every Mac. So they're still important to quote computers and the iPad's a computer, right? So why was it removed? Yeah, it's the it's the one hardware change I would make to this. Like, it's not a big deal. But if I had to say, what what would you change about this hardware? Headphone jack, easy. Even though I probably wouldn't use it. Yeah, it's it just feels like it's another one of those sort of philosophical changes. Like philosophically, it'd be better if it just had one part. Wouldn't that be great? Not really. I mean, throw it in there. It's people. I don't think it's a big deal. I think that you know, if Apple really wants to show that they're learning, they could potentially bring it back in a, in a future model. But they probably won't. Um, it's. This is, again, with the iPad being more like a laptop. And laptops, as you know, have a strict a strict philosophical orthodox adherence to the idea of reducing the number of holes that are in them, even if it makes them less useful. And so this continues. I mean, hell, this thing could have an SD card slot. Like, if you, this, once you get into a laptop size and power and price, there's lots of things that I can imagine being on the side of this thing, or even just another USB-C. But yeah, headphone, it feels like the one slightly punitive change to this but you know as, as we both noted it's probably not relevant for people who buy $1,400 iPads so I don't think there's going to be that much outcry yeah but but it does reduce you know like as Jason pointed out like it does reduce the potential usability of this or it makes it more annoying to use for a lot of pro things a lot of the things they demoed things like DJs using it or people like doing live audio edits or mixing like 
there are things where you where you really need a wired headphone for like you know avoiding latency of bluetooth and everything like and now you can do that now but you need a dongle which means that you can't charge the laptop while you do it and it's like it, a, or, a bigger a bigger dongle or a breakout box and maybe that's what they're envisioning in the pro scenarios right so like it's like you're relying on more and more like dongles and dongles. like if i'm using an ipad for something audio related the last thing i want is to run my interface through a dongle because dongles are unreliable especially if I'm doing some kind of live performance or live need in which case i probably wouldn't be doing this on an ipad honestly but i would not i would never want to run a critical audio interface to a live performance or live event through a dongle. That's that's ter- that's a terrible idea because dongles are just too unreliable. They're like it's hard enough to get USB audio to be reliable in the first place. To also be running it through a dongle doing its own USB translation stuff is just stupid. And so by by rec- by requiring that port to be used for adapters and dongles and everything and also power now it just like it, it just adds to the complexity and possibly reduces the reliability of using this in certain pro contexts. And that's kind of annoying when it doesn't seem like there was any obvious good reason to remove the headphone jack. Yeah, so it's just purely it's purely philosophical. Like, and people in the chat room said, well, you know, you don't have to buy $160 AirPods. There's tons of cheap Bluetooth uh, headphones. That's true. But like the the advantage of cheap wired headphones is you don't have to charge them you don't have, you know you don't have to worry about it. They're, they're you can get them incredibly cheap you can buy just the cheapest earbuds or whatever you don't care if they break you don't care if they bend you can charge your, your ipad at the same time as you're doing that there's you know there's no latency they're just cruddy analog things like it makes it more useful like i can't wait for apple's whole philosophical bent about uh holes in the sides of their portable products wraps around to the point where they start bragging about and touting the dongles that you no longer need because here's the new <laughs> hardware item like buy the new apple x and throw away those three adapter i mean it's kind of hard for them to make that full circle like you have to like they have to wait for it to become sort of the thing we're used to if for all of us to just accept it and then they can say look if you you know if if this was the only ipad and they introduced a new one and said now it has the headphone port so you don't need to use that dongle to charge and listen to audio at the same time without work like People would say, "Yeah, that's great, right?" Like they can they can come around on this and make it seem like they're solving a problem that they solved, and we'll all be grateful for it. Uh, we're rapidly approaching the point where memories are are short enough that we'll be like that. People won't realize that they're solving a problem that they themselves solved because once we all have accepted our residence in Dongle Town and we've developed our collection <laughs> of these white pasty white dongles, <laughs> we will pay Apple money to make it so we have to carry one fewer dongle. I have to say that. I haven't priced out the iPad that I'm going to try to resist buying, but if you wanted to get a top-of-the-line 12-inch iPad that's $1,900 with cellular is $130, a pencil is... Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's $1,900 for the iPad with cellular, $130 for the pencil, $200 for the keyboard, $2,230. <laughs> and yet it is probably has a faster cpu and potentially a faster integrated gpu or maybe a faster than the discrete gpu than any two thousand dollar apple laptop yeah just I, like that's 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 why that's why i think the prices aren't that ridiculous anymore with these things because it is so incredibly powerful the screen is so good it has so many things that no apple laptop has how much would you pay for an apple laptop with face id a billion dollars you know? <laughs> well also like <laughs> the the use of the iPad, like you know, like it's I can't. It's hard to mention enough how 
Apple's pricing is just going up and up and up. Like everything Apple has released in the last couple of years has been noticeably more expensive than what it replaced. Like it's it, Apple's pricing is really just tightening those screws, like making us pay more and more and more and more every year for the, for you know successive products. Like there's a new MacBook Air. The old MacBook Air is still for sale at the same price. The new one costs more. <laughs> like so, like the the price is. I feel like one one area where we it's it's hard to feel good as an Apple customer when you when you price things out now and you see quite how expensive everything has gotten because Apple stuff was never cheap but it used to be at least like a, a, a respectable value for what you were getting and as the prices keep going up and up and up and up that's a much harder rationalization to make um, but at least with the price you feel that pain only once like when you buy it you feel that pain but then once you have the product that like you're able to move past what you paid for it hopefully and as long until as it doesn't like, it. break yeah exactly I was gonna say, like, as, until like you know you know the keyboard dies or whatever or you drop it if an iOS device or whatever but like the, the the expense of these items is an upfront pain the laptops i feel like punish you every time you use them they, they just like the laptops are just like punitive they they're just they just want you to hate yourself for having bought them whereas the ios devices once you get past the cost barrier up front they're just pleasure they're just wonderful both the iphones and the ipads are just so wonderful they're so pleasing to use this is why i wish i was more in the ipad ecosystem because like I, every time I use my laptop, I just hate it more. And every time I use an, an iPad, I'm like, man, I wish I could do more with this thing, you know. And 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 a lot of that's on me. Like I I there is more I could do on it if I if I would invest the time into learning new tools and everything. But there's also just a lot of my of, a lot of my work I still couldn't do on it that that would bother me. But boy, these iPad Pros look really really awesome. I'm I'm much more excited about the prospect of spending fourteen hundred dollars on an iMac Pro. iPad Pro. <laughs> yeah, sorry, iPad Pro that I will use mostly to play Overcast during breakfast than I am about any laptop I've bought from Apple in the last two years. All right, thanks to our sponsors this week, Casper, Squarespace, and Eero, and our indirect sponsor, Apple. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Oh, it was accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S So that's Casey Liss M-A-R-C-O A-R-M Marco Armin S-I-R-A-C USA Syracuse It's accidental So I'm curious, Casey, I, I know my answer to this. Did you run into any uh, Apple executives or other Apple celebrities? <laughs> run, into, the, run into just coincidentally. Well, because so at the hands on area, there's a lot uh, like a lot of the prominent people that we know from Apple uh, events and stuff and high up executives and stuff will be walking around. 
and you know they they tend to be mobbed with people trying to get selfies but you you can occasionally interact with them i'm curious i i had a couple interactions uh but my first one as while casey was playing with the ipad that i had just freed up um i noticed that right across the table was johnny ive having a big mob of people around him I, I thought like, you know, first of all, I'm like, you know, what am I going to say to Johnny Ive? Like, I, I'm just like, anything I say, I would probably be making an idiot of myself and he doesn't know or care who I am. So like, what what am I going to say? Like, and it was very clear also that Johnny was very uncomfortable in this setting. Like, it's clear, like, there's a reason why he's usually only seen in videos and he wasn't this time. Like, it was interesting, like the 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 role that Johnny would have normally played, which has like, the voiceover in the video was Phil Schiller this time in the, for the iPad video. Who did a great job, by the way. He I did, really yeah. I thought he did a great job. I kind of miss seeing him, because like, normally Phil would present new iMacs or iPads, with, or new Macs or iPads, um, but I, I kind of miss seeing him on stage. But it was it was interesting like hearing hearing a Phil voiceover in that video. That was pretty cool. But um, Johnny was nowhere in the event then. Like, you know, he, he didn't have any voiceovers. Uh, but it, it's very clear like why he normally does those, because like, you know, we've, we've heard here and there like he just doesn't like being on stage or doing that. And he clearly was not that comfortable in a mob room full of people who are mostly his fans trying to get selfies with him. Like this was not his scene. So I wasn't going to try to add to his crowd, but a few minutes later, as he was leaving, he walked, he was going to walk past where I was standing. I figure like, I'm not going to like stop him or anything. Uh, Cause again, what would I say? But as he was walking by, I did think of something. I thought of one thing. I said, Hey Johnny, I missed you in the videos. <laughs> and he was, he was like, oh, and he, he laughed. He's like, thank you, in his wonderful British way. And I feel very proud of that, that I made Johnny Ive laugh. <laughs> and he was clearly, you know, uncomfortable and wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. I didn't stop him or slow him down. And I didn't make an ass of myself. So I'm very proud of myself for that. Because normally, in that kind of situation, I would say something really stupid and make a total ass of myself. And I didn't do that. Mm, I would still be thinking that Johnny thinks I'm uh, I'm a jerk for saying that. But anyway, I thought it was weird that he wasn't in the videos because this is an all-new iPad design. And the time when you need Johnny to tell you about something is when it's an all-new design. How did they go from the old iPad to the new one? And what is it about this new design that's so great? And tell us the philosophy behind it and tell us all that. And he wasn't there to do that. And so, you know, they had that thing, that animation, like the finger running around the outside of the iPad, flattening out, which I thought was cute. That video was awesome, by the way. Like the video of like the finger, like editing the old iPad to become the new one. That was really cute. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't have Johnny telling us philosophically what their thinking was with the new iPad. I mean, we can, we can surmise it. And, and there were other things in the video, but that's exactly the role that he normally fills. So actually, I actually did miss him. You're right. But, you know, he was, and Phil, again, Phil did a great job, but his voice and what he normally says in his scripts or whatever was slightly missing from explaining the the thinking behind an all new design for a prominent Apple product. He didn't he doesn't need to explain the MacBook Air or whatever, but I feel like the the iPads he could have explained. Around the time that this I guess it was right before this was happening. So Marco was using an iPad and I saw Johnny across from him and I snapped a few pictures and you can see one of them in my Instagram. I'll put a link in the show notes. Then I started using that same iPad, and for a while there, nobody really noticed that that he was there, I think. And then all of a sudden, I noticed that people are shoving my back more and more aggressively, and then cameras are getting closer and closer to my ears, to the point that there was a camera within like a half inch of each of my ears going, click, 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 because everyone is like leaning in and basically pushing me out of the way to take a picture of Johnny who's across the table. 
At some point, I thought that Marco had left, and I thought that Federico was either leaving or had left. And I didn't know what to do with myself because I I wanted to stick around the two of them. But then I went outside and couldn't find them. And I thought, well, I'll go to that fancy, you know, new Apple store across the street. And I walk in there and I uh, and I happen to meet a couple of listeners, which was which was lovely. And I'm talking to them. And then all of a sudden, guess who comes walking in? But Tim. Of course, he get he gets mobbed immediately. And one of the listeners I was speaking with, Parker, had no shame in running directly to Tim and getting a selfie within like 30 seconds. I was deeply impressed. But Tim is trying to make his way to the back of the room and is being extremely gracious about it. And the Apple employees are pooping their pants because they want to get a picture with Tim more than anything. I'm pooping my pants but attempting to keep it under control because I would like to get a picture with Tim. And you only brought one pair of pants. And I only, yeah, I only had the pants I was wearing. I didn't bring a change of clothes because it was a day trip. Um, I am not the kind of person who would do that sort of thing, generally speaking. Uh, when Marco and I got a picture uh, with Federici several years ago, it was basically because Marco said, oh, my God, there's Craig, and then disappeared, like, you know, with, with the outline of, of, of Marco in dust, like Looney Tunes style. And then next thing I knew, he was taking a picture with Craig, and I got a picture with Craig as well. Um, in this case, I required some amount of assertiveness on my part, which is is not my strong suit. But sure enough, as he uh, as he was walking by, I said, oh, you know, can I get a picture? Thank you. And I said, you did a really good job today. You know, thanks. And, you know, as for someone who has fallen out of love with the iPad, I, I really, really want one. It looks really good. And at this point, you know, I'm, uh, my body language and, and I'm trying to indicate to him, like, you can you can ditch me, dude. I understand that you need to keep moving to the back of the store. Just you can you can walk away. I'm not going to be offended. But when I said, you know, the new new iPads really great or look really great. You know, he fed me what is what was clearly like his standard canned answer. Of, oh, yeah, you're really going to love them. They're really beautiful. But he did it in such a way that made me feel like he was at least slightly paying attention to what I was saying, you know, more than I think he was obligated to have done. And the entire conversation between he and me probably lasted between 10 and 15 seconds. But it seemed like for those 10 or 15 seconds, he actually was trying to engage, uh, which was very, very flattering and very cool. I did introduce myself by name. I did not see even a glimmer of recognition in him, which is exactly what I expected. But if he, if he had like had his eye like flutter the littlest bit or something as though he would recognize me, I probably would have keeled over dead right there. Uh, but no, no such, no such luck. Um, but he was extremely nice, extremely gracious. And I got a picture, uh, which is uh, in that Instagram post I, I have in the show notes. It's, I think, the last picture because I did it chronologically. And then Mike justifiably yelled at me for not putting that first. But, you know, say la vie. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing when I was paging through your pictures. Like, you didn't really bury the lead on this one. Yeah, my bad. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I wanted to do it chronologically. I didn't. I wasn't thinking about it uh, in terms of growth packing. Yeah, but like, the cover photo for this album should be you and Tim, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, in retrospect, that's what it should. This be. This is my buddy Tim. We hang out all the time. You know. Yeah, totally. Uh, but no, that was very cool. It was funny though, as I was going through my pictures um, uh, that I took of the day because I did. I did take my big camera and use it on and off. Um, at one point, well, somebody actually on Twitter pointed out to me that behind Johnny. When he was talking to some woman who had sunglasses on and, and had the air of someone who thought that they were important, I don't know if she was important, but you know, She's probably a world famous celebrity who we all don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I have no idea who yeah, she was. Exactly. Though. Yeah, this is the kind of thing. Like, I just assume that anybody in there who has like, even like two people trying to talk to them is probably somebody really important. 
Yeah. Well, you say all that, and I agree. But just behind Johnny, I'm almost sure was David Blaine. I had no idea until somebody pointed it out on Twitter. He's a magician, a relatively famous magician. Check inside your shoe, Casey. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then even worse, was that my card? Wasn't the Six of Diamonds? Uh, Even worse, as I'm going through my pictures later when Federico and I had lunch, I realized I took like three pictures of Phil, had no idea he was standing there. None. Yeah, I didn't see Phil at all. Like I, I, I was looking for him. I would, I would have loved to say hi to Phil. I didn't see him at all. Yeah, I had no idea. That is not David Blaine behind Johnny Live. You don't think just, so? It's just another man who hasn't shaved recently. I don't know. It looked <laughs> a little, I mean, maybe you're right. I, I believed it when I when somebody on Twitter said it was David Blaine, but maybe you're right. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe David Blaine has has uh, gotten older and puffier, and I don't know. Could be. Uh, who knows? But one way or another. Um, I I def I did not post the picture of, of Phil, but I, I'm almost sure. Lana Del Rey was in the hands-on area too. I saw a picture that she posted from or some some Apple person. Oh, I did not see that. I like I like her music. I actually listened to her performance at the end of the video. Yeah, and you know I gotta say like not only was that first of all not only is it really cool to see like you have this empty stage like because yeah, Apple events have an empty stage with an empty table for an air demo of course, but otherwise an empty stage and. It's funny to see, like, right as Tim's introducing the musical guest, this team of stagehands in black shirts comes out and brings out, like, four mon- four stage monitor speakers, two microphone stands, and a piano, and rolls them all out, like, in, like, no time. And all of a sudden, this empty stage becomes a musical performance stage, and, and it was a really good performance, and I gotta say, Tim was not awkward with the celebrity. Mm, good point. I think this is a first. Like well, they did, they did have the awkward live mic moments. Like they still, this is one one criticism for Apple's incredible crack AV crew is when uh, someone is leaving stage and someone is coming on stage and they meet each other. I think both of them don't expect their mics still to be live, but very often they are because they, we get to hear them speak to each other sort of in a non-stage voice. I think what uh, what Lana Del Rey said was like, oh, when I do these things, I'm always so nervous. And Tim's like, no, you did fine. I'm the one who's nervous. Like, they were conversing with each other in oh, a you way. you heard that? We, we couldn't hear that in the room. Yeah, we couldn't hear right, that at no, all. Right, but on, go watch the video. You can hear it. And I think basically that they're not expecting their, their mics still to be live. So I feel like the AV crew needs to turn off their mics as soon as they start that transitional phase and only turn them back on once they're separate from each other. Although it's cute to hear that that interaction, I thought it was very it was very honest and real moment. They briefly snuck through a very prepared uh, presentation. Yeah, but yeah I, I gotta say that was it was one of the better musical guests in a long time, and and the way it was integrated in was pretty nice, and you know it wasn't awkward or anything. It was just it was just good. Yeah, Tim was. Uh, uh, if you're watching the video, uh, it, maybe it's, I'm sure it was obvious when you were there too. But the video the volume was fine in the video because obviously they're mixing that audio differently than it sounds in the room. But Tim was all full of beans, as they would say. Like he was. He was very enthusiastic, very expressive about everything. I don't know if he's gotten notes on his past performances that he seemed like he was a little bit sleepy, but he was not sleepy. He was very expressive about everything and seemed genuinely excited about it and was just really, really pumped about the stuff they had and, you know, introduced everything with enthusiasm and was he didn't have like his thoughtful Tim Cook moment, you know, the thoughtful moment that he has in the <laughs> yep. keynotes where he, where he tells about only Apple or can do this or Let me give about, you a summary of why we're so awesome. Or just, you know, about why they care about the environment or helping people or it's all about the creativity. This was all just like rah-rah, go-go type of stuff. And, and by the way, lots of new presenters. Uh, so they had, they had Turnus. What's his name? Uh, yeah, uh, John Turnus, I think. Yeah, he was he was at the Mac Pro event back in 2014, right? So he was that was like his his public introduction in one of these events, and now he's on stage. Uh, he was pretty good. Uh, 
the marketing guy they had felt a little marketing-y, but it's the first time I've seen him on stage, so you got to cut him a break. It takes a little while to uh, get the stuff all together. Um, I, I thought I thought all the presenters were pretty good, and it was a lot of new faces, and it was mm-hmm. a, it was a like a quarter women or something. Like there, it wasn't, or it was it was better than just having one woman. Um, but you know, I, I did notice that they, it wasn't just just a bunch of dudes the entire time, which was uh, which was nice. I will say also it was it was fairly well paced. And it didn't, no point felt like it was dragging. Like, they didn't get too too down in the weeds at the demos or anything. Like It was short. didn't even go two hours. Yeah. Like, it was, and it was a very dense, like, hour and a half, whatever it was. Like, it, there was, like, it, the excitement levels were, were maintained for most of it. Like, it, it only dipped a little bit during the demos, but it was overall, like, pretty cool. Even the demo people were excited. The person who was demoing Photoshop was excited about the fact that she was using Photoshop on an iPad. And Yeah, know. I think the only time it really got creepy was when they took that very long shot of the very detailed basketball player model. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, because he wasn't blinking. Guys, you can't do that. It's Uncanny Valley. Yeah, that was real creepy. Like the it, sweat beads. It yeah. felt kind of like, like I, don't, I really don't like wax museums because like the, <laughs> like the people in wax museums like they just look a little bit too lifelike but still really creepy and fake and weird and like you know uncanny valley kind of situation and man that those basketball players in that game were those looked freak those just freaked me out like and and then to have that one long zoom in on every detail of this guy's like sweat beads and i'm like okay this should have ended like 20 <laughs> seconds ago like this oh my god <laughs> He should have had an idle animation. You know, when characters in games yeah. have idle animations, yeah, yeah, which they're yeah. like bouncing up and down or breathing or blinking or just doing something that shows that they're not a wax mannequin, but are in fact a living thing. Or, but anyway, um, that, that, that focus on gaming was interesting, especially when they compared like the GPU power to the Xbox One, right? That's all well and good, Apple, but like you're not, you're not convincing me. Like, oh, Apple, like just you've got all the gpu power in the world uh it, you are like 100 times more powerful than the switch but you do not have breath of the wild like do you see the difference do you see the difference here apple <laughs> like what's different how is how is nintendo able to, to make these amazing games with so much less power and by the way the thing costs so much less money maybe that's part of it too but either way like yeah it, i'm i love their gpu i love the fact they have gaming demos oh look at this it's in retina resolution this game you know no console can do 120 frames per second which is true but pcs can but anyway that's not the problem that's not you know you're not they're filling the wrong gap people aren't saying i would love to use the ipad as my primary gaming system if only it did 120 frames per second that's not what people are saying people saying i love would love to use the ipad as my gaming system if only it had the games i want to play <laughs> it doesn't Red Dead Redemption 2 did not come out on the iPad, right? <laughs> the Last of Us 2 is not coming out on the iPad. Zelda didn't come out on the iPad. All these games, they're not coming out on the iPad. And it's not because the iPad isn't powerful enough. It's plenty powerful. Anyway, I don't want to go off on Apple gaming stuff. But they, they insist on bringing up gaming. They insist on comparing themselves to gaming consoles. And it's like, you don't, <laughs> you don't see the differences that people care about. It's not the differences you think they are. One uh, very small tidbit that I noticed that I might be the only person that uh, finds interesting is that when the Adobe people were on stage, uh, shoot, I thought I wrote it down somewhere, but I, I've lost it. But uh, the oh, uh, Chantal, I think, was the woman who demonstrated the AR app by actually using the iPad. When she came on stage, I believe she brought the iPad with her, it looked like, if memory serves. But when she exited the stage, she put the iPad in that like 
cube that was on stage and walked off stage. Yeah, there was like three spare iPads, and if you look at the shot of when she does the AR thing, you get the reverse angle. There was a bunch of spares there. Like so that's I don't not know. surprising. Okay, yeah, we couldn't see that from our seats, but it would. I don't know. It just struck me as weird that she would have brought it on stage, and maybe I'm wrong about that. But I could have sworn she brought it on stage, but then deliberately, it looked like she pulled open a drawer and ditched it in the drawer before she walked off stage. Yeah, I always get kind of, uh, you know, like, uh, when I when I see someone come up for a demo and I, real, uh, a demo and I realize they're standing in front of what is clearly and what have we come, we've come to know as an AR table. Yep. Like, yeah. Why is there a giant oh AR table? And so you know there's going to be an AR demo. I was, when she was demoing, I'm like, yeah, but she's demoing Photoshop. It's not going to be an AR demo. But sure enough, it's an AR demo. Like, oh, of course it is. Ever, all of us have AR demo tables in our house, right? It's just a big giant flat empty table that we use for AR demos to make sure there's a service that it can track well. Well, yeah, because obviously, like, you know, no table in our house would just fill with crap and, and never be empty ever well, again. I, I think the crap doesn't actually interfere with it too much, but you do need a big table upon which to display things. 